Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast for people who just got their Steam decks delivered this week. <laughs> My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Uh, yeah, this feels like a really big moment for us, but also in general. I don't think I was really prepared for it, you know? Like, yeah. We're going to talk a lot about the Steam Deck if you haven't already picked that up. Um, it happened so but, quickly was the thing. I feel yeah. like the, the time between Valve announcing, hey, we're like really, really ramping up production of this thing and shipping of yeah. this thing. And then us getting our emails was like such a quick turnaround. And then between like putting the order in and getting the Steam Deck was like less than a week. I mean, it was yeah. it was wild how quickly the thing arrived. I'm I'm kind of amazed. Um you know what's funny though? I like thinking back to when we first ordered it, I remember thinking to myself like we'll probably get this like September or October. You know, just like hoping and wishing and praying and then like over time the website kept updating and like we kept getting pushed further and further out and then it was like maybe it's going to be 2023 for us. So I was like, "Oh, what a bummer." And I love that it all just kind of wrapped back around. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> here we are at the end of 2022, just about with our Steam Deck yeah. in hand. So I have played it a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I got mine, I think, at the end of last week. So recording this on Sunday. So I've, I've had it for at least four or five days. Yeah. I made the mistake of downloading games that are infamous for making time melt away, yeah. like Civilization V and Persona 4 Golden, which I'll talk more about in a bit. But uh, it was kind of surreal because like, I've used Steam on this show like i've downloaded games for mac yeah but it always kind of feels like i'm i'm finding an outfit from 2012 like i'm, I'm going into like <laughs> my old bedroom or something like it, it just feels like i haven't really like dusted it off since right. like college basically i i had a very brief like couple years where i switched from mac to pc i had this like shitty toshiba laptop but like it played games so mm-hmm. That was also right when Steam was like becoming like really popular. Um, so that was like right when like TF2 was was at its peak and like right. Left 4 Dead 2, I think, had just come out somewhat recently. Stuff like that, like a lot of Valve stuff. Uh, I think Portal 2 was also yeah. just coming out then. So like there was a lot of really exciting new new Valve games. Can you believe it? Uh, <laughs> and just like, you know, it was cool to like connect with that side of things because like I've said often on the show, I've never really been a PC uh, a PC gamer, I guess. I had a really bad shared desktop with my family for most of my childhood and teenage years. So, right. like, it was like kind of a miracle when a game worked. Like, I feel like I always w- would get a game and be like, I really hope this works out. <laughs> like, if this works at all, yeah. I will be thrilled. I had I, the exact I, same experience. Like, yeah. really just like wishing, hoping, and praying that Call of Duty, the first one, would like run at low <laughs> settings on our like gateway computer that we had. Cause like the only yeah. thing I could run was Age of Mythology. You know, yeah. that was like the only yeah. game I was playing. Yeah, same with Civilization Three. Similar deal. Like I, yeah. I, I could play a lot of the Sim games, but any game that required online connection, I somehow managed to play Warcraft Three a lot on dial-up. But I always was like, <laughs> it will be a good day when I don't get like kicked out of every match. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> I think I just liked seeing the game and not really even playing it. Yeah. But anyway, all this to say, I feel like that fundamental experience with PC gaming, and then me shifting back to mac after a couple years um led to me not really using steam at all Mm -hmm. and that's also been one point of feedback for us on this show i've said this before but like a lot of people have really encouraged us to get 
a some kind of PC to have access to that library. Yeah. Not in a demanding way, but just in a way of like, hey, if you have a video game podcast, there's a whole world like you can't access. And I felt that often. Like there's usually at least one or two games every year that blow up that are PC only. And also what's of more interest to me is like so many games enter early access only for PC or like, you know, uh, a lot of like smaller indie games are only for PC. And like, I would love to be part of that more. Um, and like more stuff is available for Mac, but even so, like, I just don't love playing on my MacBook. I don't really have like a great setup for it. Mm. So all of this to say the steam deck felt like, like tailor made for, for our exact situation. You know, people that, yeah. that haven't really had a PC set up in a while that want access to that library, but like maybe aren't like set on, on building a PC for it. Um, so all that to say, I now having played the steam deck for at least 20 hours, let's be real. I think I played it for like a full day (laughs) at this point. I think it's, it's like a fundamental landmark release for me. And what's really bizarre. And I don't know if you share this, but after playing it for so long, I actually feel more of an incentive to build my own PC. And I don't really know how that happened. That's very interesting. Because I think, like, for one, it's just really cool to have access to a lot of stuff. And we'll talk about, like, I think there's a whole other conversation about, like, what the Steam Deck can play and all that. that. But it's just cool. Okay, like, fundamentally, I have a way to play PC games. And I do really like it. Like, I like, it's a little big. It's actually as big as the Xbox Series S, which is kind of funny. Um, But it, it feels good to hold. And you said this to me. You're like, have you held your Switch after holding your Steam yeah. Deck? And it really feels like someone put like a baby bonnet on you and gave you a rattler after By holding comparison, the Steam yeah, Deck. Just, yeah. yeah, to be clear, like I think the Switch in handheld mode like is actually pretty good for the most part. Like I, yeah, yeah. I, I share the same complaints a lot of people have where I think it's like a little bit awkward. It feels a little bit too thin almost where like it doesn't feel very yeah. ergonomic. It just feels like they made it because they could less because like it actually fits in the hand well. But by comparison, after playing the Steam Deck for like 10 to 15 hours, which is like, you know, mostly a handheld only experience unless you're like docking it, going back to the Switch and playing something in handheld mode on the Switch is wild. I also went directly from the Steam Deck to playing the Ein Odin a little bit uh, the other day because there was a game on Game Pass I wanted to check out. And that also was like similarly a a wild experience because the Ein Odin is like more Switch Lite adjacent in terms of its size. So going from the Steam Deck, which as you said is like, literally like xbox series s size it's really <laughs> thick it's really big it's like a huge bulky thing it's lighter than you would think though but it's, it's really light it that's looks. what i was gonna say yeah, yeah it's really yeah. light though uh and and it feels really good in the hands like really ergonomic i was actually really worried about it so like to to go back a little bit um i think it was may or june i went to florida with a bunch of my friends uh, one of which was uh alana oaken who's been on the show a couple times and she had gotten her steam deck recently and had been playing elden ring on it uh so I went to go like visit their hotel room to like hang out and see the Steam Deck and like played Elden Ring for like, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes on on the Steam Deck just to like see what it was like. Um, This was before we had gotten our emails or whatever. This was like me still in the realm of like, do I follow through on the order when the email comes in or do I just build a PC? Because like it's a thing I'm I've done in the past. Like I know how to do it. And like maybe that was the easier move for me. And I held the Steam Deck and played it for like 10 minutes. And I was like, I actually don't know if this is the thing for me. Like, I think it's a little bit awkward. It's a little bit bulky. I don't know if I'd want to carry it around, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then, you know, by the time the email came in to order it, it was like, oh, whatever. Let me take a chance on it. There's like 
you know, I, I love if you know me, like if you follow me on Twitter or something, you probably know, like I'm, I'm sitting here. It's two days after the new iPhone came out and I already have it. Like I'm like that kind of person, <laughs> you know, like I had last year's iPhone and now I have this year's iPhone. Like I'm that kind of guy. So using a brand new kind of device is something that I enjoy doing. So I was like, you know, I'm going to take a chance on it. And all of my feelings and all my worries about the size of it and the ergonomics of it, like totally bled away as soon as I played it for like 30 minutes like when i sat yeah. down and like had like an extended play session with it and like really dove into a game and like got lost in the game i was playing i i realized that i could play this longer in handheld mode than i can the switch because eventually because of the way the switch is built i will start to like cramp up uh just in terms yeah. of the ergonomics of the thing whereas it seemed like it's so fucking comfortable like even like lying in bed and stuff it's really nice yeah, and and I want to be clear too because I think that like in conversations about the Steam Deck, I think there are two thing, there are two YouTube clickbait videos that that manifest <laughs> in one's brain. Yeah. One is, will this replace PC gaming? And the other is, <laughs> is this thing gonna kick the Switch's fucking ass? You know, like <laughs> Switch killer is just a word that comes out That's every now and say then. A lot, yeah. I, I really feel like they're in different realms as yeah. much as they're a similar thing. I mean, honestly, I, I love the switch getting the switch. There was a moment on our show, like when we first started where I didn't have a switch and getting the switch was like a really exciting thing. I think it definitely planted this idea into the mainstream of having a console that like could be both, you know, and yeah. we've talked so much about Nintendo handhelds and have a reverence for them. And I think the switch is just like a natural evolution of that idea like there are things that i would prefer to be better about it obviously like again it isn't the 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 controller could be a little off and like the display could be better of course but like when that came out it it, it has succeeded for a reason and i think there are a lot of elements that i love about it too like the the obviously the first party games are incredible and the third party support is like unbelievable yeah. like i think that's something that we can't really forget like because that was something that so devastated the wii u and has really <laughs> yeah. i think helped the switch and it's so cool like i i don't want to forget the not too distant memory of being like i can play dragon's dogma handheld i can play breath of the wild handhelds like, yeah. yes it's at 720 i don't really know what that means honestly like it, it works like it's fine <laughs> yeah i'm that i'm the kind of person where, like if, it, if it's i notice it if it's really good or really not good you know and like i'm a digital artist like i do i do have like an eye for this but i'm also not like it's not going to ruin my enjoyment of a game if it's not the best possible display. Yeah. Um, so all this to say, like, I don't think that, and I also think the switch at the end of the day is a Nintendo console. It's not going to be replaced by anything. It is what it is. Yeah. You know, it is. I, I'm totally, it is you. that tree is planted firmly in the ground and no matter what, how technology advances or what changes, if Nintendo releases a deck of cards as their next system, it will do fine. Like it will, it will exist and people will get it, including myself. And I will probably like it. Um, all this to say, I have realized what a toxic relationship I've had with Nintendo. Like you and I are not Nintendo defenders. We love the games they make, but there's so much to criticize on a business perspective. Yeah. The lack of game preservation, uh, the question, questionable handling of their old library and making it a subscription, just like the, the, the sort of, bad quality of a lot of the emulation for their older games like we are people that really want easy access and acknowledgement of their past library and like to give credit to the people that worked on that stuff and nintendo really 
seems to only think of their back catalog if they're like in a bind. You know, I feel like it yeah. was revealed that the, one of the only reasons why there was the digital library on the Wii and the Wii U is because like it was sort of a placeholder. And that's really sad to hear. It's like you have on a business level, there is such a lack of acknowledgement of what has built this company's success. And that's really painful to hear and see. So yeah. like or they under they, I, I think more specifically, they understand it's a potential cash cow and it's like a break glass in case of emergency situation for them yeah it's it's not a thing they actively care about unless like they're in dire straits it's very frustrating and you know so so that that's a whole thing um but i also there's another part of me that was like for example i've been we've been waiting and and desiring the persona games ported to switch like everybody for forever yeah you know that it almost became a meme at a point where it's like when is persona 4 golden coming to switch when is persona 5 coming to switch and honestly like i i've played all of them other than golden which i'll get to uh but i just really (laughs) wanted people who only have a switch to be able to play those games And, and i feel like persona as a series really just meshes with handheld it's like a series that didn't begin handheld but actually is better handheld yeah that was actually my biggest problem with persona 5 when i finally picked that up was like i was so used to playing persona 4 golden on vita that i was like why would i be playing this in front of a television doesn't make any sense to me so i'm like cool like persona 4 golden's coming out sometime next year i'll finally get to play it. i've only played uh, the original persona 4 for the ps2 yeah i'll wait patiently and then i'll pay probably 60 dollars for it when it comes out yeah Yet here is Steam, my old 2012 friend, waiting for me, (laughs) having my back, the Samwise on my journey, being like, dude, you can get it for $20. It's already here. Yeah. And it's on sale right now. (laughs) It's on sale right now. And like, it's not. Uh, it's not a hot take to say that Steam has has better pricing than the n- fucking Nintendo <laughs> online store, but it just like kind of showed me. I'm like, man, like there's. I just feel like you know it, the things we've been asking Nintendo to do are already being done on PC and on Steam. You know, that's kind of where I'm getting to. Like, yeah, I think that. Yeah, I I think there's so, there's something to be said here. Like, obviously, this is an Atlas thing more than Nintendo yeah, thing, but I, right, I feel like right. Nintendo, like as a platform, and and even in a greater sense, I think it just kind of speaks to like if you are a person who is only console gaming specifically, you're just kind of at the whims of a bunch of companies, like maybe or maybe not giving you the thing that you want. Whereas on PC, like people are just making things happen. And of course, like that is still companies giving you the thing that you want, but on PC this time, but I I just feel like it happens more frequently on PC than it does on console. Right? Like I feel like that wish fulfillment of like, can you believe that X, Y, and Z thing exists on this? usually will happen on PC first and then happen on console second. I think like a a shining example of this is a thing I've been kind of like bumping up against for the past year, I guess, as they've been coming out. But the Final Fantasy Pixel remasters are so fucking great on PC and so awful on mobile and also simultaneously are not on any of the consoles despite having full (laughs) controller support on PC already. So they have controller support on PC Great. Very cool. They also have mod support. So you can like go in and change a bunch of stuff and like add a bunch of, you know, X factors or like switch the font or like change the entire art style. If you don't like the pixel remaster art style, like those kinds of things are always happening on PC in a way that they just like aren't or specifically can't on console unless it's a company like Bethesda. That's like we're going to build mod support into the fucking video game. Yeah, and I just think the the Steam Deck coming out and having played it and having seen the success of it, because Valve has never really made a console that has taken off in this way. Yeah. And honestly, I think this is really the first time I've seen a console come out not from Microsoft or Sony or Nintendo that has 
blown up this way. Yeah. Like, I still think it's kind of a novelty product. I don't know if, like, there's truly enough, like, stock of Steam Decks to, like, have it become, like, a new Xbox or something. But I do think it's the first one to come close to that for decades. Yeah. You and I were talking. So, shocking. Tokyo Game Show is wrapping up as we speak. Uh, We're recording this on, like, the Sunday, which is the last day of TGS. Um, which interestingly enough, like much bigger this year than I feel like it has been in previous years. I think like they were really blowing it out in a way that like honestly kind of put like the E3 Summer Games Fest thing to shame uh, a bit for me. Um, TGS has been like sick this year. It really feels like, oh, we, we got our E3 replacement and it's TGS, which has always been. Yeah, here. It's, our, it's our old friend. But anyway, I, I shared a, a, a photo with you, which showed these four spots and it was xbox playstation switch and then steam and they had the steam deck there and it was like that visual of seeing persona 5 royal running on all four of those consoles was very cool by itself but also seeing the steam deck like listed alongside those four as like yes we have four booths here one for each of the quote-unquote major consoles was a little bit of an interesting kind of twist for me and it makes me wonder if you know jumping five or six years ahead like is is the steam deck actually going to become like kind of the future i think right now is a proof of concept like it's obviously nailing it and people really like it and you and i are you know very effusive about it but it does feel like we're kind of at the precipice of like maybe there being kind of a fourth entry point and like valve really has achieved what i think they wanted to do what they set out to do which is like bring pc gaming which is notoriously like very expensive and like difficult and requires a lot of tweaks but just like bring it to the masses in a way that feels as easy as picking up a Nintendo Switch, which is I, I think like blending that idea of console and PC together is is a really like beautiful thing. And obviously like huge financial incentive for Valve, right? Because they run what is the biggest PC game store on the internet. So like right. obviously yeah. like anyone you bring into the PC gaming fold, they're going to be buying games through Steam. I think it makes a lot of sense that like the Steam Deck is so fucking cheap. Like even if you look at it compared to other devices that are that are similar to it. I, I think the one everybody's talking about right now is the Aya Neo Air. Um Ayan, who makes the Odin that I was talking about, is working on another device called the Loki, which is apt for our bonus this month. Um <laughs> but oh, yeah. uh the Ayan Loki is coming out, which is also like a Windows device. Um, you know, they're they're running on Windows and not Linux, but they're also really, really expensive. And the thing about the the Steam Deck is like Valve can make it as cheap as they want because they're not trying to make money on the Steam Deck. They're making money on every single purchase you will do through the Steam Store forever. You know, like <laughs> they they can literally have a, a zero or negative profit margin on, and per customer make all that money back based on the amount of money you're going to spend on the Steam library. So like I think in terms of just bringing it to the masses, they have like achieved that so quickly and so successfully in a way that they've never really done before. As you were saying, yeah. like through the Steam controller and the Steam Link, which is like around as a software thing and not a hardware thing anymore. And what was the other one? The st- was it the Steam Box or the Steam? They I had think a it was console. The Steam Box. Yeah, it was yeah. like a little GameCube that played games. On yeah. Steam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, you know, I think like I remember like kind of being vaguely interested in that because it, it had a similar promise to the Steam Deck where it's like. You know, this is a PC setup for people that don't have the time or money to build a PC, you yeah. know, and like in college, I don't have time or money. I'll get that. I'll get the Steam Box. <laughs> I probably had time, but I did not have money. Yeah, I just I, I think you're right that I think there's I just think we're at the precipice of a fundamental change. Yeah, I think like it's this perfect storm and maybe not storm, but it's a lot of factors where like on one hand we have Nintendo who are 
you know, had this wild success with the Switch, but are kind of, you know, hoarding their games like they always do. They're never going to be ported to anything else. And honestly, we're at a point where, like, even me, someone who doesn't complain about performance, is starting to be disappointed with how the first party games are looking and performing. Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is a great example. That game should take your breath away and instead makes you say, wow, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, I feel like that is a game yeah, that there, is there's a, such a about, fine line between those two. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So like, it still looks great and you know what, but it, it kind of looked like when I showed it to my friends, they thought it was a game that had come out for GameCube and like got ported over, you mm. know? And like, I think that says a lot. And I don't think every game needs to have the, the, you know, graphical showcase of god of war which is like stunning you know on on a 4k tv which i recently got i recently got a new tv actually it was like a year ago but it's so exciting <laughs> to me um anyway I, I i think so the nintendo on one hand is like okay this is a console where their games are never going to leave it and they're kind of beholden to the technical limitations of this console mm-hmm. then you have sony who are like for the privilege of playing the PlayStation 5, you must pay 500 plus dollars if you can find one, and the games are $70 on launch. Yeah. Now, to be fair, I'm glad that their library does eventually get ported to PC. That's a really good step in the right direction. Yeah. Um, but still, it's like they're following the logic of video games as a business are a giant corporation sells you a bigger and better box every five years. And like they're still operating on what feels like the PlayStation two model. Exactly. And I think we're already past that. I think we were past that before the PS five even came out. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Microsoft I think is taking the most progressive approach. Again, these are all giant corporations. I'm not trying to like worship any of them, but Microsoft (laughs) I think is on the right track with being like, we don't care if you play halo on your MacBook via browser with the switch pro controller. Like we want you to have game pass and we want you to play our games in any way you can. And to me, I think that bleeds a little bit into conversations about physical media and that's a whole other conversation. Oh yeah. But I do think it's, it's a overall positive move for a future in which you can get games in a way that works for you and play them on a desired console of choice, Mm -hmm. whether that's a PC or a steam deck or I don't mind there being a new Sony PlayStation five, but I I talked with with my, with my friend about this and it's, it's sort of like, imagine if movies were like, you need the most expensive TV just to watch our new film, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I know some people feel that way inherently just about displays and stuff. Right. But it's like, imagine if you couldn't watch Mad Max Fury Road in 2015 unless you bought the TV five, you know, like that's such a stupid idea. So I just I I think that like the Steam Deck success to me paints an exciting future in which there is another option that is, like you said, that halfway point between consoles and PC or it's just going to inspire more and more people that are already making these incredible handhelds that use retro handhelds or or these, you know, new handhelds. And like, I, I think that's a cool place to be where like, as a consumer, you have a choice and it's not, you know, line up for one corporation's new box. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I'm really excited by, by this thing. I think it's also worth mentioning about the steam deck that it is like pretty open, right? Like it, it on the back end, like it is running Linux. If you press the power button, a, a menu pops up. That's like, do you want to turn this off or do you want to Our launch old it? friend Linux? Yeah. yeah. Or, oh, yeah. <laughs> or do you want to uh, <laughs> switch it to desktop mode? And if you do that, you can like pair a mouse and keyboard to it and you can just use it as a fucking computer. But what that also means is you can like, 
download the Epic Game Store and you can download. I mean, I don't know if that actually runs, but I know that there are a bunch of like other or itch. You can play yes, itch games. Exactly. There are like a well. bunch of yeah. other game stores that you can download and run and like incorporate those games and add them into Steam. So they will just launch automatically from the not desktop mode, like from the main like Steam Deck OS mode which is so fucking cool. Like that's, that's such an amazing thing that they launched this device and they were like, obviously we want you to be using this like front end that we made and use the steam store and like play all your games from steam. But they also kind of acknowledge that like the PC gamer crowd and like the Linux crowd are going to also flock to this thing and allow them to customize it exactly the way they want. I will be clear about myself here. As soon as I opened the thing, I had that urge because if you've listened to the show for a long time, you know I am very into these like retro handhelds, et cetera, et cetera. I have a lot of them. I love getting them and like futzing around with them and like figuring out how I'm going to like customize them to my liking, et cetera, et cetera. Getting games to run is like a fun thing, almost more so than playing them. And as soon as I got the Steam Deck, I was like, I could be that guy for this also. And I said, no, I put my own foot down in front of myself, I guess in front of a mirror. Uh, and then just said like, I'm just going to play games on this for like at least a week or two, just experience this as if it's like a new console that I got and then I'll start fucking around with it later. Yeah. Um, yeah. The closest I've gotten, I I, I want to be clear is with the elder scrolls for oblivion, which was obviously the first game I wanted to run on the thing, yes. uh, which is steam deck verified. Uh, if you go in the store, they have like games that are like great on steam. Yeah, I want to talk a bit about that yeah. after you're done. Yeah. And, but, um, and this, this anyway. is the one hitch I found with the, with the verified and a lot of people like in forums and stuff are talking about this game specifically because the elder scrolls for oblivion, our muse is listed as great on deck <laughs> is verified. But when you run it, none of the controls work at all. It doesn't even have controller support. It's like not the Xbox 360 version. It's just the PC version and doesn't have like gamepad support built into it at all, which is like like bullet point number one on what you need to be Steam Deck verified, which is so funny. Thankfully, and this is one of the coolest things about this, the most I did futz around with stuff is you can go into gamepad settings for each game individually and they have a list of all of the like valve preloaded control schemes that you can use for video games they also have another tab that's called community controls and you can go in there and see a bunch of different control schemes that people like in steam and people like who are playing these games have made for themselves and then uploaded as like presets that you can download and you can see how many people have upvoted that control scheme and how many hours people have played with that control scheme. Wow, so you can that's sort, so cool. You can sort by those. And I found one for Oblivion that doesn't require me going and like using desktop mode to download a mod and mod in the Xbox controller support because like that is a mod that exists if you are just playing this on PC. You could just go into the Steam community options and just download essentially gamepad support that is just mapping all the keyboard controls to the things that they should be on the gamepad and still allows you to use the trackpads on the device itself as like a mouse and keyboard when the need arises, when you need to name your character, when you're in menus, when you're selecting dialogue options, things like that you can still use the mouse and keyboard. It's actually like maybe the best way to play Oblivion is what I found because you're really getting the best of both worlds. You can even if you want, and I didn't even know this was an option, turn on gyro controls if you're one of those people who really oh likes gyro controls God, and use Oblivion. that. Yeah, and use that to look around when, like specifically when you are using a bow or like using magic. It's, That's incredible. It's so flexible in ways that I really didn't even think were possible. I'm going to be clear. Like I'm a person who does so much fucking research before I buy anything. <laughs> like I, again, I'm just one of those kinds of people. I did like almost no research at all about the steam deck. I just thought it was a cool idea. People seem to like it. I have been so surprised 
so many times by how cool this thing is. And I just want to be clear also, I'm not trying to like sell you, dear listener, on getting a Steam Deck. I think we're going to talk more about like who this is for and who this is not for. It is so specifically for you and me though. Like it is so good for the two of us for the specific things that you and I are trying to get after in terms of like what is cool about PC gaming and what you and I specifically want to do with it. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, I, I couldn't have said it better. I, I wanted to talk a bit about that whole like games verified for the decks. I think it's yeah. a really interesting thing. And I didn't know that was a thing going in. I, I did no research and I'm also someone who doesn't do any research. <laughs> I just sort of show up. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you, you didn't even know like how big the storage option we had bought was. You were like, do you yeah, have a storage yeah. on this thing? It's like, that's the button that we press <laughs> on, on steam.com slash deck. To what I'm trying it. to say is I'm dumb. Okay. No, but, uh, no, I know I'm just I'm just teasing but anyway for context I have like 70 ish games on steam um from you know my years of living yeah uh, and bundles and stuff I'm the same way I, I didn't mention yeah. this I I also in the same span that you did I had a gaming laptop so I have like hundreds of games on steam also yeah I'm like in that space also something I I can't believe isn't an option on console that I love on steam is is being able to gift games digitally like, yeah, I would so, nice. so love that like I do love actually physically giving if I get a game for a friend it is fun to see them unwrap it and like see their shock and terror that I got them firing through houses. Yeah, I I would it would be cool to be like, hey, like I, I think you'll like this here. Yeah. You know, like I, I wish that was an option on uh, on other stores. But anyway, what you'll see is as you're scrolling through your library and and even in the store page for any game, I don't I don't and and please tell me if you know this, but I don't mm. know if it's a like team of play testers or if it's an algorithm, but essentially every or maybe a mix. But every game is either you see a green check mark that says verified great on Steam Deck. Yeah. Or it will be a yellow icon that says playable. And what's really nice is if you click on that, you can see like, well, what do you mean? Like, what what is yes. the potential drawback? And it will show you a bulleted list of like, this game plays great, but the UI might be a little small or there might be some audio issues or whatever. Yeah. I would say most games are that too, from what I've seen, or at least most games that I have Mm -hmm. are considered playable. Uh, And then there's unknown, which is my favorite where they're like, we don't know what this game is. Yeah. Uh, You're charting your own path with this, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's also like, does not run. There are some games that like games that use like the Ubisoft launcher and stuff just like don't work at all unfortunately yeah and, and there which there is are, not common but yeah 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 but it, it's surprising which games do and don't fall into that category from what i've heard i haven't checked this out myself but what i've heard is that bioshock one and two both have that problem um and also the batman games which seem like you know huge outliers as well have this like wb launcher or something that pops up and like completely breaks uh if you're trying yeah. to run it on the steam deck and and this is also still very much the early days of the system, so I imagine this will only get better with time. Yeah. Um, oh, to answer your think- question, the the green specifically means that somebody at Valve has confirmed that this game works. Cool. Yellow means that a lot of people are playing it on Steam, which means that like it probably does work because like a lot of people are playing it with the Steam Deck and it is working for them. Unknown is what you think it is. But what I do appreciate is even if you're playing a game that is verified... Every once in a while, you'll get a little pop-up that'll ask you when you're done playing a game, like when you close out of it, it'll ask you like, hey... We've marked this as verified. Does this match your experience with it? Which for Oblivion, I was like, absolutely fucking not. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's for, the first and only time you gave negative feedback on Oblivion. Yes, yeah. it really is. <laughs> um, but again, to be clear, Oblivion is very much an outlier, as it turns out. Uh, a lot of people yeah. 
are talking about this on the internet. I want to give many a shout out to this as this. well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of many people on the internet, we have some really kind people in the discord who refer to themselves, who refer to themselves as deckheads. So I, I asked the deckheads, Hey, like how accurate is this? Like the, yeah. you know, great, whatever. Um, and they said, it's like pretty, pretty accurate, but there's also a website called protondb.com yes. that essentially is community reviews of the games. And they're not always one-to-one sometimes like oblivion is, is a big outlier there um other times a game might be an unknown but is considered great or it might be playable but it's considered great or you know there, there's a lot of caveats there because it's it's all a work in progress so yeah. you know i i think it's it's cool to see that there are multiple resources to to consult when you're when you're thinking of downloading a game i will say what's what's encouraging is that of my 70-ish games um, when you download a game, there's a whole tab that just pulls up your library for games that are considered great on the Steam Deck. Yeah. And 29 of my 75-ish games are considered great, which which is awesome. And honestly, it's mostly stuff you would expect, like with the outliers that we mentioned aside. Uh, it's games that have controller support, games that are like on consoles as well. Right, yeah. Um, it's a lot of the ones usually, you'd expect. One game, though, that I played a lot of that is considered playable uh, is Civilization Five, which yeah. like... That's one where it's okay. You can definitely tell this is civilization is made for a mouse and keyboard setup. It's been like that way since the dawn of civilization. Um, uh, but even as using the joysticks to control, like you, because you have the two joysticks, but you also have two touchpads. Yeah. Um, that are honestly surprisingly great. So like, when I played Civilization Five, which I played for a lot, uh, a lot of time. Yeah, you, you can't um, not. I did the same thing. Yeah. It's impossible not to. What feels like 15 minutes is actually just the Renaissance period. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> moving like the camera around or like moving units with the joystick was fine. But if I was in a menu, I would use the touchpad because like it's a little bit too floaty with the joystick. So you'll find your own compromises. And like you mentioned, too, there's so much customization here that like I have really no doubt that as time goes on, like there will be a, a some way to play most games on this thing. Yeah. I um, think and so I'm too. on. I'm honestly impressed how many already run great. So like, for example, um, the games that I had that were verified great were like Cuphead plays excellently and looks beautiful on the screen. That's something we haven't really mentioned. The display is incredible. Like, and that has kind of, uh, that's sort of why I look on my switch now with a little bit of annoyance. I'm like, man, if I could see like the games on switch in this display, that would be incredible. Th- this is where you and I are going to differ a little bit because it definitely does make a huge difference that I have the OLED switch in this case, because oh, the OLED yeah, display on the switch is so fucking good. And actually playing persona Four golden specifically, which my background of playing persona Four golden, as I mentioned, was on the Vita, which also had an OLED yeah. display that like intro cinematic that plays uses a lot of like really like deep, like true black against really vibrant yellows and greens and blues and reds and stuff specifically to just highlight how great the OLED display is. And, uh, it's a, it's a noticeable difference. I will say this, this display gets a lot brighter than I was expecting though. And the brighter things are generally the more vibrant, like our eyes perceive them to be. And that's why things look so fucking good. And they really do. And like most games that I've played on it look like, fantastic on this display and it's also yeah. huge it's a huge display yeah it's a huge screen it's like yeah. comic it's again the device is comically large yeah i and that's the thing i i don't think this is going to be like i think even the switch is slightly too big for like a subway ride yes. even though i've i've tried to play octopath on the train like 
Um, <laughs> it, it, it is definitely a portable in the sense of I'm playing this on the couch or in bed or outside. Yes. Uh, and that's what the Steam Deck is very much going for. But like, I like that. I, I like playing games on my couch or in bed or outside. So it's perfect for me. Yeah. Like, and I, I guess, don't think like I'm, I'm yeah. going uh, on a, on a trip for another wedding this weekend. Uh, sorry, this coming weekend. And like, I probably will not be bringing my steam deck with me like i don't even though it came with a wonderful travel case and stuff like i don't think i'm gonna bring this on vacation you know yeah like i don't don't need this for the plane i could just like yeah bring my switch or bring something even smaller it would be just i feel like if you play this on the plane whoever was next to you would would start talking to you it has that like pull (laughs) they're like what's that is that a new game boy no dad this is the cool new console that's changing the landscape but uh (laughs) anyway i think it's great but i wanted to maybe pivot into the who is this for and also bring up something i mentioned earlier where i said i'm loving it and now i also want to have a pc set up yeah tell Um, me about that i'm very curious about this yeah so i think the steam deck is really just an exciting piece of hardware and i think it also is great for us because now we have inability to play pc only stuff it's going to really make the show better i'm excited to like check out games on it again there's still that caveat of like not everything is great for the deck so like yeah we still have some limitations can i interject here real quick please i, w- I want to mention really quick the part of the magic trick of the steam deck for like the more like technically minded people who are maybe listening like the the really interesting thing and the reason that website is called Proton DB is because what Valve has done here is essentially built a conversion layer between Windows and Linux where they're taking things that are built for Windows and then essentially on the fly and as it's happening converting all of that into Linux distribution code which is Got like it. really like it's like actually miraculous that they made that work and that it works so seamlessly and so well. So a lot of the stuff that like does or doesn't work on the deck is like, how well does it play with proton? Which is, which is this, this compatibility layer that they built. Um, it's really similar. If you follow Apple news to the M one max, when they first came out, like running stuff from the old max through a thing called Rosetta, very similar to that. where like, Things don't need to be built for the M1 Mac to run on the M1 Mac. And sometimes Rosetta will actually run things even better on the M1 Mac than they did on the hardware that they were built for. The same is somehow true of the Steam Deck as well, where every once in a while there's a game that like somehow runs better on the deck than it does on Windows, which is what it was built for. Because Proton is that fucking efficient. What's also really cool is if you're a person who is like really technically minded and you like want to get in the weeds, you can go into desktop mode and they have a thing that you can download just off of like the Linux app store i don't even know what it's called because i haven't used linux in like 15 years but there's this like app store and you can download this thing that valve made which allows you to switch between different versions of proton including like experimental versions that they're like testing out and might be released in a couple months there's another version that everybody talks about called proton ge which is like a specifically made version of proton that will like run specific games better than others and you can in each game's individual settings choose which version of proton you're running it is so it's almost like going into a retro handheld and deciding like what emulator you're going to use for pokemon crystal versus pokemon silver and gold you know like you can can choose like an emulator that will work better for one over the other so like i know grand theft auto 5 works better through proton ge than it does through the one that like launches on the deck that is like so amazing that they made that work and and just to be clear like if you are going on steam and see a lot of things listed as for windows that does mean that it'll run on the deck which is i think like unbelievable considering it yeah. is a linux handheld sorry i just i just am so amazed no, it was by good that to know yeah and like things like i don't know i've seen like marvel spider-man running on this thing it's amazing how close it gets to like 
like PS4 Pro levels. You know, it's like the the version of Marvel Spider-Man that's running on the Steam Deck is the remastered version that they released for the PlayStation 5 and it's running on the deck, which is shocking. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it's so wild to think about even even just, you know, I mean, we talk a lot about like retro handhelds, but even just thinking about like being blown away what the switch could play when it first came out and where we are now in, in five years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's miraculous. Okay. But sorry, you were uh, talking so about no, no, who no. this is for. Who this is for. So I get first I'll talk about my my desire now to make a PC setup, which yes. is kind of combined with my desire. I'm excited to be moving. So there's sort of like <laughs> a bunch of things there because I think like I really like my desk setup here, but I feel like like I'm currently in kind of a small apartment. So I I don't have like my ideal desk setup because it kind of bleeds into the living room. Right. Um, but I really want to invest in like, OK, here's my table for recording. Here's my desk table for like digital art or playing games mm-hmm. um you know having that division here's my d- desk for work um i don't need three desks but you're know, just thinking about like okay like what kind of setup works for what and like how do i want to inv- invest in the space and playing the steam deck and being like oh my god i'm so happy to uh <laughs> this sounds like a corporation's dream <laughs> but i'm so happy to have steam again because i feel like it's it's so much more consumer friendly than most console stores are yeah you know in terms of like the sales that happen and what games are available and uh even just you know the customization that's available on the steam deck you know i is is a hundredfold on pc so it's just sort of like i knew that like eventually i would i would want a, a pc setup but i didn't really know why i feel like i was still kind of in plato's cave a little bit here uh and now that i've seen the sun i'm like oh okay like i'm always gonna have a I'm always going to be wanting to play games on the steam deck, but it's kind of like, you know, having multiple consoles, like what experience do I want best? And there's always going to be games that are best for mouse and keyboard. And I just think that it will be cool to have access to that library in multiple places. And like, I think the steam deck is kind of introducing what the benefits of playing on PC are in a way that's like, Oh, I can see why I would want that now. Um, so that's really cool. So that's, that's me. And that's why I want to do that. And I also think, you know, I mean, honestly, if the steam deck just continues to, to have work on it and people continue to make games work on it, I might be good for like a long time, (laughs) but I just, I I think it in an ideal world, it would be cool to have both. And this brings me to who this is for. Can I, Um, can I respond to that real quick? Because I, I, I felt very similarly about it. I, I came into this again thinking like around the end of the year I was going to build a PC because as you mentioned at the beginning of the show like I would say our most requested thing sorry three guys just went by motorcycles um hell yeah yeah they were so fucking cool I can't believe how cool they were <laughs> you did, guys did, play Linux yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh anyway <laughs> our I would say our most re- our most requested thing is like can you guys get PCs again not in like a demanding way but like people have literally donated to the patreon saying like this is towards you guys building PCs one day um yeah so being able to like even just play PC stuff is cool you know on the deck but I was getting more towards like I'm gonna build a PC I've done it in the past I know how to do it like it, it seems like a thing that would be fun to do um so I was thinking like at the end of the year beginning of next year I was probably gonna do it I'm actually like putting that off now like for I, I don't know indefinitely at the moment because the yeah. deck has just kind of like done a lot of the things that I wanted to do um so to answer your thing about the mouse and keyboard thing I know because you are using a laptop it's a little bit more difficult like th- this is not going to work as one-to-one for you as it is for me but I have the m1 mac mini specifically which means that I have a bluetooth keyboard and a bluetooth mouse that I'm using to connect to those both of which have the ability to connect to multiple devices so I've already tested this. What you can do is just plug in any USB-C dongle to the top of the deck 
and just export that into HDMI. So like it's just showing up on the same monitor that I'm like using to record this podcast right now and then just switch the connection of my mouse and keyboard to the deck. And then I'm just using essentially a Linux PC and just like using it as a computer that also plays games. Um, So I did experiment with that a little bit to play Civilization Five specifically just to like see what that would feel like. And it was so seamless (laughs) that it was like, again, kind of miraculous. Um, Wow. Yeah. Maybe that changes things a little bit. I I think I still want to invest in like a desktop setup for other reasons, but I was sort of combining that with like, oh, this is why people wanted us to do this. Yes. I I do. I do very much. uh, I, I will extol the virtues forever. This is getting more towards like the tech nerd side of me, but like I will extol the virtues forever of like having a like a desk set up like the one that i have yeah like, i think it's so great especially to like for what you and i do like streaming games and stuff on twitch like it's so nice to just be able to like plug a, con- a console into the computer you know and just like stream like so seamlessly like that that's always been the dream for me um and this idea that i could just like plug the deck into that exact setup and then like be going is so fucking cool i think again i will probably get into building a pc eventually one day um, I, I feel that like on the horizon because there are certain experiences where I feel like it would be very cool to like max resolution a new thing like as soon as it comes out, you know, like there there is a piece of me that will enjoy that kind of tinkering and seeing that kind of thing happen. You know, if like whatever the next cyberpunk of the world ends up being comes out, it's like, dude, I'm running this at max settings. Like, how cool is that? Um, but for now, I'm getting what I want out of the deck, which I think gets into like who this is for. Yeah, I would I would guess and you're much more knowledgeable of like the tech space than I am. So you might have like an actual answer, but this is more of like a gut feeling uh, uh, looking at the clouds answer from mm. me. Yeah, tell me. Um, so I think as evidenced by both of us, I think that if you are someone who has primarily played consoles and want access to the PC library, but are daunted either by the material cost of PC set up or like just this sort of like uh knowledge required to like get it working or like mm-hmm. having to ask for help um this is kind of a miracle this will sort of answer pretty much 99 percent of your prayers <laughs> yeah uh and you will have a great time with it i also think on the flip side if you're someone who maybe already has a pc set up but just loves gadgets the way you do like if you're just someone who like loves like seeing what the new thing is yeah. and playing around with it best baby um, you'll have a great time. I think I have a feeling if you're someone who already plays games primarily on PC, but you don't have that like uh, inherent desire to play what's new. I don't know if this is exactly for you. I don't know if this will be like as exciting for you uh, in the same way that like, I feel like from your perspective, this will be like a band you followed for years, finally releasing an album that everyone listens to. And you're like, yeah, I knew they were good. Like, why, why is everyone so excited? You know, uh, this is the good news for people who love bad news for the PC <laughs> gamer who doesn't love gadgets. Um, so that's my take. Dude, have you heard of Radiohead? Are- <laughs> they just found this album called In Rainbows. It's free. Can you believe it? You could just download it off their website. Yes, this is the Steam Deck is in rainbows, and that <laughs> means everything. It's it's the it's one of the first albums to be released in like with a Kickstarter uh, business model before that was even a thing. Um, if you were a Radiohead fan, you're like, yeah, it's a new album. If you were someone who only listened to crap before, you're gonna be like, wow, this is incredible. My life is different, uh, and that's kind of where we're at. <laughs> we. Real Radiohead fans are the <laughs> non-Radiohead fans of the Steam Decks in Rainbows. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to need some time to parse that sentence. <laughs> 
I, I need to run it through the proton compatibility layer. Crap was a bit harsh. I don't think well, we, we've done pretty okay. But I think we have a pretty wide and healthy knowledge of video games. But, you know, I'm just excited to have this new frontier as well. Yeah. Um, it really feels like how I felt when I first got a Switch. Like It was like, oh, this is I feel more excited in a, I just got a new console way about the Steam Deck than I did the PS5 or the Xbox Series S. Yeah. And that's not to say that it's better, but I think with, with both of those consoles, I equated getting the Xbox Series S to getting a new phone, where it's like, here's everything you had on, on a new place. And that was kind of cool. Like, it was convenient in that mm-hmm. way. Um, the PS5 felt kind of similarly. It's like, okay, like it's a really cool, big and, and loud new interface, but like I'm exporting all my old stuff over. So I kind of just feel like I got a new phone in some ways too. Yeah. This feels like this is a new experience. You know, right. this is, this is a, this is a fundamental new experience that I think will change what consoles will be going forward in a positive way. So yeah. that's really exciting to me. I think so too. I, th- I think valve has gotten miraculously close, as I mentioned to what they're trying to achieve here. I do want to like, throw some caveats out there I've, I've been playing a lot of stuff on this um a lot of games that i have played elsewhere specifically just to kind of get a read for like how is this on steam deck versus on something else and i i think my my biggest caveat is like don't expect this thing to be totally seamless like there are things that will yeah. require tweaks there's always going to be a weird not always but like frequently i found there are going to be weird hurdles in terms of like how you're interacting with or even starting or getting a game to launch sometimes you know, like what I mentioned with the Elder Scrolls for Oblivion is like not totally out of the realm of what you're going to kind of experience with most games. They just won't be as heinous or sometimes games just like won't work at all. Like even Skyrim, which I also have been playing a little bit of on the deck. Um, I've been playing the special edition, the anniversary edition. And even that had a bunch of issues. Like if you're downloading like mods and stuff from the creator club, like that can really impact the way the game performs. Even if you like tone down a bunch of things. There's a button on the right. So there's like a Steam button on the left, which like opens like a Steam overlay. There's a button on the right, which you can kind of get quick access to a bunch of other things like the screen brightness and, you know, Bluetooth and wireless connectivity. But there's also another section that specifically will like limit the performance of games. So you can like drop this slider down. That's like I can turn the frame limit up or down, sorry, to 30 frames per second on games, which like sometimes makes a world of difference sometimes will make a game run sometimes will give you like two extra hours of battery life if you turn that setting on there's a refresh rate slider on the screen which like i don't even really know what that means or how much that's gonna help me (laughs) but like if you go on proton db for example and like if you're having trouble with a game sometimes people will say like turn the frame limit to 30 frames per second turn the refresh rate down to like 40 hertz which is all the way at the bottom and like then the game will run Sometimes that's the case for some games. And sometimes you'll need to like go in, as I mentioned, like download community layouts for for the controls. But sometimes there are games that just like work perfectly out of the box. And that's when you get the closest to, I think, like where I would need most games to be for me to like blanket recommend the Steam Deck to people who are interested in it. Totally. That's kind of been my biggest thing. So like Vampire Survivors, for example, is like one of the most perfect all time games for the Steam Deck because it's a game that like so obviously like should be out on every device but just isn't unfortunately because you know it's like one dude making it so like i'm not i'm not gonna like belabor the guy for not releasing the thing on switch yet like it's still in early access etc etc but it's so cool that i could just load it up on the steam deck it's like literally again has two buttons it's the joystick and the a button just to like confirm or deny in menus um and then you're just like moving around and playing vampire survivors. And that game is, you know, a great, like, let me get a run in, you know, exactly how long runs are going to be. Cause the whole thing is about surviving for 30 minutes. Like the most time you could spend on a run is 30 minutes. It's a perfect game for that. Another one I've been playing a lot is Peglin, 
which I've mentioned on the show before, which is like a Peggle slash roguelike kind of combination, a little bit Slay the Spirey as well. Um, that game also like out of the box, fucking perfect, like just ran like exactly as you would expect. The, the left joystick is for aiming the shot. A is for shooting it again, confirming in menus, things like that. Like you don't need to use the touch pads. You don't need to use the touch screen. Just runs exactly as you think you would need to run it. Um, and those are the experiences that I find are the best alongside other games that are, as you mentioned, like so obviously made to be played like on consoles and with game pads, like games like Persona 4 Golden, for example, are like, you know, that's the thing that they're going to release on the Switch eventually. That's the thing that was built for the PS2 and then the Vita. Like, of course, that thing has like great controller compatibility. So out of the box, that game just runs exactly as you want. Elden Ring is another one that like everyone talks about on the Steam Deck and Valve themselves like worked with FromSoft to make sure that it ran on the Steam Deck because it's the biggest game of the year and the Steam Deck is like arguably the biggest console of the year. So obviously they would want to work together to make sure like that shit was on lock. It's kind of like when uh, Switch came out and they had to show that Skyrim ran on it. That was like almost the elevator pitch. You can play Skyrim handheld. Yes, on the go. Yeah. How how quickly did we get over that? You know, like uh, I'm I'm back in that zone now that I'm playing the anniversary edition with mods handheld. You know, that's where I'm like, holy shit, rich merchants of Skyrim, but handheld. (laughs) Um, Oh, my God. If there's one mod that should have been a day one patch, it is rich merchants of Skyrim. Um, That changes the game in in a completely. It's funny that we recorded our, our Skyrim bonus before I was able to play with mods. I feel like I would have had more to say, but we, we definitely listed the good ones, I think, or the ones that we enjoy. We'll yeah. go back to it one day. Yeah. <laughs> Elden Ring, I think, is an interesting case, and this is kind of where I get into the, like, is this actually, like, the like if you haven't played Elden Ring, you don't have a way to play it, and you're, like, looking at all of the ways to play Elden Ring, and, like, that's why you want to buy a console, like, I don't think the Steam Deck is the answer for you. Because the Steam Deck, when you download and start to play Elden Ring, you need to, like because it's a pc and it's the pc version of the game you need to like go in and like dial in all the settings specifically for the steam deck right so like you need to run things like on medium go into some of the textures change some to high where you can you know go into that frame rate frame rate limiter and like change it to 30 frames per second which like already is not ideal for some people who want to be playing from soft games in 60 frames per second where possible which i totally understand for a game like that that's like so combat focused and so timing focused like it makes sense that you'd want it to be smoother. Like there, there are concessions here and there that you need to make to run these like big AAA games that I feel like a lot of people are talking about on the Steam Deck, like Marvel Spider-Man, God of War, like a lot of the Sony first party stuff um, that's running on there. Like, I don't think the Steam Deck is the place to play them, but if you have a PC and have that stuff downloaded already, like if you have that stuff in your library, it's miraculous that you can do it. But I wouldn't say yeah. it's the place to do it. That's kind of, that's kind of the big trade-off for me here where like, my reasoning, and this is why I keep saying, like, for what I want out of the Steam Deck, I'm getting what I want. I really miss the era from, like, 2012 to 2015, 2016, where I had a gaming PC and was able to play all of the really cool small indie stuff that I constantly heard about on, like, podcasts and in articles and in, like, tiny blogs that I was following on Tumblr or, like, you know, people on Twitter would talk about or retweet. That stuff is the stuff that I miss the most and the stuff that I'm like most upset that we don't talk about that much on the podcast. Like we talk about it where we can when the stuff is available for Mac, if we can get access to it, you know, if it's on consoles, obviously, if it's on mobile, obviously. But there's this whole world of games that you and I like haven't been able to talk about a whole lot that I'm so excited to be able to dive into. Like there's so many games I've downloaded so quickly that I've like really just been waiting for so long to check out like one of the big ones I'll probably start talking about them like next week like a lot of this week for me has been just 
playing things I already have a pretty solid awareness of so I can feel how they're different on the Steam Deck versus not. Yeah, same with me. But games like Noita, which is like one of the biggest roguelikes to have launched in the past couple of years, like that's available on the Steam Deck. I'm going to play it there. That might even be on consoles at this point, but like I, I knew that PC was kind of the place to play it from what I had heard. So I'm really excited to do that. I just saw this great article about a game called The Wandering Village, which is like a town builder on the back of like yeah. a big dragon that looked so yeah. cool. I immediately picked it up because like it just sounded great. And these are the kinds of things we can do now. And that's why I'm so stoked about this. Yeah, it's going to help the show in a big way because that's kind of where our heart lies. And I feel like we've been having to operate around not having a PC. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so th- there are just like a bunch of games that I'm like really, really, really excited to be able to check out. And even to go back in time now and like check out a bunch of indie releases that, you know, I- I've had on my wish list on Steam forever. Because like whenever I read those articles, I will still add a thing to my wish list just in case one day I built a PC. Um and now we're here and that's really cool. And to know also, again, going back to the like USB-C dock of it all, but to know that like, okay, so the Wandering Village, for example, I think is a great example because it just came out, not verified for Steam Deck, not even listed as like maybe it's not even, it doesn't even have like the yellow check mark. It, it just is like, we have no fucking idea if this <laughs> thing runs at all. I haven't loaded it up yet. I'm going to do that this week. But what's cool about it is like, okay, if it doesn't work that well, you know, out of the box with the Steam controllers and stuff. Or if it needs too many keyboard combinations and I like I get tired of like bringing up the on-screen keyboard to try and play this game that's like supposed to be a little bit faster than that. It's so cool to know that I could just like plug in a USB-C dongle, match my keyboard and mouse to the thing and like just play it as a PC game so easily and so quickly. Yeah. Like that is miraculous. And that's what I what I say when I or that's what I mean when I say like this is giving me what I want. This is giving me access to the things that I wanted. And that's why I put off building a PC for like a while because the games that I'm most interested in playing on the steam deck are games that will probably continue to run on the steam deck for the next like three to four years. If I were to guess. Yeah. There's also, I think another part of it for me is we often talk about with handheld games, especially for the game boy advance and the Nintendo DS games that were specifically made with handheld in mind, Yeah, especially for the DS. I mean, you have the two screens, you can't ignore that. Right. It has to be part of the game in some way. But what I found with the steam deck which is really fascinating is playing games that maybe didn't come out on handheld or, or, you know, are older in some capacity and seeing like, Oh, these actually shine on handheld or this, this experience is, is, uh, increased by having the intimacy of, of handheld. Yes. Like, like super meat boy, incredible on steam deck. I've always liked that <laughs> game, but like I never really played, like I always play a few levels and then kind of move on, but like having it with the controller handheld. And I imagine that's probably available. I don't know if it's on, uh, on switch actually. I think it is either way. Yeah. Having that game on handheld is really cool. Uh, Persona 4 Golden, same thing. I mean, that was on the Vita, but it was originally on the PS2. And like, I think any any game that has that sort of sense of schedule, you've often said how Animal Crossing should always be handheld for you. Yeah. And that like the ones that were tethered to the GameCube or the Wii weren't really as successful. And and I get that. So I think it's it's just yet another way. It almost reminds me of when directors say like we made this movie to be seen in theaters or to be streamed. Yeah. I know I keep making movie comparisons. No, no, but, no. It just reminds um, me, I, I saw Top Gun Maverick in theaters a couple of weeks ago, like right before it left, or it might be still in theaters. I mean, it's like one of the biggest movies of the year, but that, that was a movie that was like so troubled. Sorry for the anecdote, but that, that was a movie that was like so troubled in its development because like Tom Cruise would not fucking let that movie 
go to streaming. He was like, it must be shown in theaters. We will hold it as long as it needs to be held to make sure it's shown in theaters because it was done like right before the pandemic happened. Um, So it's been like waiting for years to come out. And then it did. And what happens when you go see that movie in theaters is there's like a little behind the scenes thing about how hard it was to make Top Gun Maverick. Tom Cruise is like, they made me a, a Marine. It's like, okay, cool, man. But then... It cuts to Tom Cruise sitting in like a soundstage, like on a director's chair. And he like personally thanks you, the viewer in the theater for going and seeing the movie in theaters. He's like, we worked so hard to make sure that you would sit in this seat and watch this in theaters. Thank you so much for like keeping the industry alive. It's because of you that we're all here. And no joke, Stephen, everyone in the theater laughed when that happened. Like everyone was laughing at it. I, I gotta be honest. I like truly... 30 to 35 minutes into that movie I was like I actually feel so bad for laughing at this because he unfortunately for Tom Cruise (laughs) he was was so fucking right about that movie it is like one of the best movie going experiences I've ever had in my life watching Top Gun Maverick in theaters I could not believe how right he was and I take back my laughter sorry anecdote (laughs) anecdote over no but I mean it's I, I think um I remember Alex Garland said something similar about Annihilation because that movie was sort of sabotaged Hell by yeah. Paramount because it didn't it didn't great movie by the way if you haven't seen it and you like Alex Garland highly recommend yeah, it it really doesn't cool. get enough credit in my opinion but um Annihilation essentially like uh it it got a very limited theatrical release and then it got a worldwide Netflix premiere yeah and he was like this is cool like nothing against streaming but like this was made to feel overwhelmed in the theater. Like yeah, we made yeah, it yeah. specifically with theater mind. And I, I do think like it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a stretch possibly, but I do think that there are so many games that consciously think about where they're being played. Like God of war, as cool as it is to run on the steam deck, that is like, you want to play that game in your best possible living room display and yeah. just get lost in this Norse world. Um, Persona. You don't 4, want the Stardew world Valley. serpent to look very tiny. <laughs> What what I'm trying to say is that games, you know, consciously going into handheld or console or even mobile. Like we we've talked about a lot of games that utilize things you can really only do on mobile to their advantage. Mm-hmm. All this to say, I think the Steam Deck gives that possibility wider range now because it doesn't have to come to Switch or mobile. It can come to this place um, and and have that advantage. Yeah, that's really cool to me. Yeah, I'm so with you. Yeah, and I, and again. As I mentioned earlier, I feel like we're just scratching the surface of this device as well, which is so exciting. Like, there are so many things I'm really excited to try. Um, the shout out to uh, Russ from Retro Game Core, who has made so many great videos about how emulation works on this thing, because it runs it runs everything like perfectly. It's it's miraculous yeah. how well emulation stuff works on this thing and what's so cool again as i mentioned with like the itch store and 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 uh gog and things like that like all of these like extra stores that you can link to it and like take the games from other storefronts and and import them into steam so you don't need to like constantly be switching to desktop mode you can do the same thing with emulators and games in emulators so like if you get metroid prime running in dolphin for example you can just add that to steam and it'll be listed alongside all of your other games in steam that's so cool and just launch yeah. right into it and like that's a whole world that i will probably end up exploring like over the next couple of weeks yeah the month. me too <laughs> um I'm, I'm very interested in it, especially considering that nintendo direct that just went by where we did not get twilight princess and wind waker for switch um it's like i could just run you know, I, I won't because it's illegal, but I could just run the HD port of Wind Waker for the Wii U on the Steam Deck perfectly. I've seen people do it. That's amazing. 
that's that's the kind of thing that the Steam Deck is is uh, capable of of doing. So uh, excited for that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it really it's so cool to finally have this, and I'm I'm really glad. Like, I come, I'm kind of glad I went in with sort of no expectations. Like I knew it would be cool, but I was expecting it to be like uh, you know just like okay, like I have. Uh, for example, for like Game Boy Advance, like I have the wonderful Game Boy Advance Kyle Star made us. Yes. I also have my SP, which I never play because the backlight doesn't really work very well. Uh, and then I also have um, the Miu Mini you got me, which yeah. is excellent. And I love all those options other than the SP. The SP is sort of more of a novelty, but <laughs> I love playing Game Boy games on that backlit Kyle Star Advance. And I also love playing on the Miu Mini. But, you know, I, I switch it around and it's kind of like, what am I in the mood for? Whereas Steam Deck, like, I'm, it has like a gravitational pull. Like, I'm like, oh, this is a new place. Yeah. It's not just another option. It's a new place, which is really exciting. Yeah. To keep making the movie comparisons, whenever I go pick up a retro <laughs> handheld and, like, go play, like, anything for the Game Boy Advance or, like, the Game Boy Color or something, I think of that almost as, like, opening up HBO Max and going to the Turner Classic Movies section and being like, I'm going to give myself some culture today. You know, like, yeah. I'm, I'm sitting down, not not really for my enjoyment, but because I think it would be good for me if I experienced, like, an old movie today. Um, I feel the same way when I, like, load into the Game Boy Color library or, like, the original Game Boy library yeah. sometimes, um, which is very silly. But uh, before, before we move on from the Steam Deck, I um, want to mention a couple more games real quick. One that you and I have both played that I want to just shout out is Aperture Desk Job, which yeah. was made by Valve to show off how cool the Steam Deck is. Is a little bit of a spinoff from Portal. I mean, is a spinoff from Portal. Uh, really short. It was like an hour, maybe. It's a half hour. Yeah, yeah it's, less, it's really yeah. short. It, it is like actually a tech demo. Yes. Which like, I don't want to say I was disappointed, but I, it was a really charming beginning and I was like excited about it. And then it kind of ended and I was oh, OK. But like, it's a fun way to introduce how the Steam Deck works. And it teaches you like how to take screenshots, how to bring up the keyboard, which is actually really helpful. Yeah, so, ex- that's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah. My, my recommendation, yeah. if you if you haven't picked up a Steam Deck yet, just go get that game first and play that first. Like, it's free, I believe. It's yes, a free it's game. Also free. I know how exciting it is to be able to play the Elder Scrolls for Oblivion, but I highly recommend (laughs) playing Aperture Desk Job first. Um, Before we get to the other games we want to talk about, I think we're going to take a little bit of a break because it's been over an hour already of us just talking about hardware. Let's talk about some software. Yeah, and making movie comparisons. I do think Dom has poisoned our well a little bit with movie talk since he (laughs) since he came on last week. Thanks again for uh, for our friend Dominic Nero for filling in, co-host of the Eye of the Duck podcast. Great. If you want to hear actually about movies, go listen to that show. Yeah. It's a good time. I actually just finished listening to their episode about uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, which is the most recent Mission Impossible movie today, also starring Tom Cruise. What I really appreciate about their Mission Impossible uh, series that they did was specifically, I think, acknowledging and very much leaning into the fact that you can't you can't remove Tom Cruise from Mission Impossible. Like You can't talk about Mission Impossible just as movies. You need to talk about Tom Cruise like as a dude also. Uh, and they right. really went into that in like a very big way, even keeping a tally of how many times he almost died while making them fascinating. Like really just an incredible. They did such a good job with Mission Impossible, a series that I love very much. Hell yeah. Anyway, thank you again to Dom cool. Nero. Yes, thanks, Dom. Uh, let's take a break and we'll be back with some more games that we've been playing on the Steam Deck. Goodbye. Bye. Steven, we're back. Dear listener. Hello. Hello. We're back. Uh, Want to talk I, I think quickly about some games we've been playing on the Steam Deck outside of all the ones that we've already been talking about. I was going to go first because mine mine is a little bit of a of a, almost an update to a thing I talked about much earlier in the year um, oh, cool. that I've been playing on the Steam Deck, which is Voice of Cards, The Beasts of Burden, 
which is the third voice of cards game <laughs> that launched to almost wow. no fanfare. I haven't seen anybody yeah. talking about it. I did see somebody in the Discord post the trailer when they announced it, like totally under under the radar, like maybe two weeks ago. Like they announced this game like literally two weeks ago. And I didn't know when the release date was until I opened up Steam and it was like, hey, there's a Square Enix sale. Are you interested in this? And uh, I looked at all the stuff that they had available, and one of the things was this. And I want I want to make a plea to you specifically about this game. So I've this is actually the game I played the most on the Steam Deck so far, which is a little bit weird because like it is just a game I also could have gotten on the Switch and played there instead. Sure. Um, but I was like, you know what? It's new. It's exciting. I just want to like experience this on the deck. It it runs perfectly fine as you would expect. It has full controller support. It plays exactly like it does on the Switch. Nothing new in terms of like how it runs on the deck. To be clear. Um, but I did want to give it a shout out because I have found that these games have gotten better with each release. It's amazing how quickly they're coming out, to be clear. Like, we're on the third one already. The first one came out last year. Um, yeah. If you don't remember Voice of Cards, if you have started listening in between the last time I talked about it and now, um, Voice of Cards is this really kind of like small RPG series um, with like what seems to be not a huge budget. By Square Enix. They're all directed by Yoko Taro, who is the maker of the Nier franchise, which you and I love dearly. The first one was like written and directed by him, and the following ones were just like directed by him, but not, you know, he he's not like super involved in like the writing or whatever anymore. That having been said, the first one, it was called The Isle Dragon Roars, really just felt like a really pretty good proof of concept. I found a lot of the story and a lot of the elements to be like kind of clashing in ways tonally that like didn't make me super enjoy it. I loved the gameplay, but I didn't really love the story. Like it just felt so cut and dry. Like we're just proving that this is a cool thing that we can do. Yeah, I remember, I think Yoko Taro had originally pitched it to be a mobile game that would be like updated over time, which I think explains these periodic releases. releases. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to me that these games aren't on iPad at least. um, Right. Much less mobile. Like I actually do feel like they'd be great on mobile. And I'm wondering if we're going to get to a point eventually where they've released enough of them that they'll like, release them as like a bundle on mobile or something because they they just feel so native to that and it's strange that they're not there so anyway the first one isle dragon roars very like cut and dry it was like hey you're like a scrappy dude with a sword and his like monster companion and you're like going out into the world and like just getting into turn-based battles and like yeah it had a little there was an undercurrent of strangeness and tragedy which is in all yokotaro stuff but i and i didn't beat it and i've heard that the like the final encounter is really cool but yeah it was like weirdly restrained like i almost wanted it to get weirder yeah. and I never real and maybe it does and I you know I missed it but I got far enough into it that it just sort of felt a bit like a slog after a while but I loved the like skeleton of it yes. I think it was like a really great idea which I, leads to what I, I felt the same way here. yeah I felt exactly yeah. the same way about it it just it felt like if this is a proof of concept I can't wait to see what comes next and what came next was a game I think in February or March of this year that came out that was called um oh man what was something uh, the forgotten maiden is what it was called that game I found to be really one hell of a step up from the first game. Like tonally, I found it more interesting. It involves you like traveling around between different islands, each of which has like a maiden who oversees it, who like has some kind of quest that they need to solve. It felt very Dragon Questy specifically to me yeah. in that each island was like its own little self-contained story that you need to figure out. Um, and then your party would grow over time. It was a really cool experience. Sorry, it's it's the Forsaken Maiden the Forsaken for those Maiden, curious. Yes. Yeah, I just Googled it real quick just to make sure. Not to reply guy you in real no, time. No, 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 I, I just wanted no, to get the name right. You're saving me. Yeah. 
I, I felt like that was a huge step up, um, even just like atmospherically. The music obviously is great. It's like the same composer that does the near games. So like the music is so fucking good. And I, I just found the vibe of the game, like traveling between these islands and exploring them to be really rewarding and, and a nice change of pace versus what we got the first time around, which just felt like really playing by the book. This was a little yeah. bit more of an exploration of what they can do in that engine. This game is even better than those like leaps and bounds in like a really huge way. I have been oh, wow. so surprised at how good this game is by comparison. It really felt like the first two were like warm ups for this. So the big twist about this game and the reason I wanted to tell you about it, because I think you're going to find it really interesting is it deals heavily in like capturing monsters. Like it has that mm. like dragon quest five thing where every once in a while when you beat a monster, they might be like, hey, but I want to join your team, which by itself is very cool. The way that works specifically is you are your player character is given a deck of cards, um, and every once in a while you can like trap a monster in the card and then use it as a skill. So in the previous games, the way it worked was you had like a light attack that you would just use whenever, and your little character card has like an attack and defense stat on it. And if you just attack, you will just do that amount of attack damage. And that's kind of how it works. Where it got really interesting was if you had skills with elements and things like that, you would roll dice. And then based on how those dice performed, plus whatever your attack was, you would like do elemental damage and do all these like interesting buffs and debuffs. And that's yeah. that's where like the actual turn-based combat and, and like the more Final Fantasy Dragon Quest kind of side of it really like came through. What's cool about this game is you don't have any skills. You just have monsters. Oh, cool. So whenever you capture a monster, that gets added to your deck of abilities that you have. And all of the different monsters will have like different powers and different abilities based on like what kind of monster they are. And they also have like different rarities of those monsters. Uh, depending on how far in the game you are, you'll get like a level one wolf versus like a level three wolf, things like that. It's really, really, really compelling and really fun. Uh, and, and to be able to take those monsters and like spread them throughout your characters and kind of like build however you want, which character is going to be what role in your party, like who's going to be the healer, who's going to be the DPS, who's going to be the tank. That is really, really like a fun experience I found. Yeah. And the story I find to also be more interesting and more compelling. It definitely has, just to be very clear, it definitely has like weirdness up front where like, the main character is this like 14 year old girl and she's like hanging out with her mom in their underground village and her mom looks exactly the same as she does. Uh, oh, it's yeah. a, okay. It's like very weird about like ages in that way. Yeah. Some tragic shit happens and like she, you know, your player character is out in the world. Um, this is also the first one that has a different narrator than the previous two games. And oh, the narrator is amazing. Like so good this time around, both in the Japanese and the English uh, dub. I, I found both to be really great, and I'm actually just like flipping back and forth between them based on how I'm feeling at the time, which is weird. Yeah. Um. The music is still great. The world is still great. I, I'm really compelled by like what the story is, and I kind of don't want to give too much away about it, but I do find it really interesting. And I this is maybe the first one that I will actually get to the end of because I'm like I'm so interested in every aspect of it, and it really seems like they've just refined everything that I liked about the first two down to a science, wow, yeah. and then added this monster capture thing. It's very cool. So that's that's Voice of Cards, Abuse of Burden. This whole series, I feel like, is flying so under the radar that any Yeah, I don't hear anything about it. Yeah, yeah I'm, like, so disappointed by it because I feel like they're such cool experiments um, and, and deserve to be played more. I wonder if there's, like, almost too many 
Square Enix B team games coming out right now. It's, it's really like, interesting, right? I'm, I'm going to talk about even, another one of them yeah. later. Yeah, yeah, and I don't, I don't say B team out of disrespect. Just like you know, there's a lot of experimental yeah. one-offs. You can going tell on what's and, a Final Fantasy and what's uh, right. like a, a straight to mobile <laughs> thing. Yeah, but there, I mean, Square Enix next year, if everything if everything stays as it was announced next year, they're releasing the Crisis Core remake, Final Fantasy 16. And FF7 Remake Part 2. Crisis Core is this year. Crisis Core is December. Crisis Core is this year. Okay. Well, still, next year, I mean... I, Final Fantasy I, 16 I, and 7 Remake Part 2 is like wild, yeah. That is a lot. Yeah, that is a I lot. don't I, believe I'm actually it, not sure. But that is what they're planning for. What do you think will get pushed? Well, Final Fantasy 16 is supposed to come out like in the spring, so I feel like that will... Or the summer. Like, that'll definitely happen. But I feel like 7 yeah. Remake is absolutely going to get pushed. They said that's like holiday... 2023 yeah, they said winter yeah, yeah which is yeah that that just means whenever it's year. a season that's a soft maybe yeah yeah, yeah yeah i might part of me is like maybe this is blasphemy because i love f7 and i loved remake part one but i also like i even if part two is a disaster i feel good about what part one did like on <laughs> its too. own yeah. you know and i'm a little bit I feel a little bit used as a fan in some ways of just being like strung along this like never ending <laughs> parade of games. Um, like I'm excited. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but I'm like, all right, like FF seven is now kingdom hearts in terms of complexity of games and timeline and all this stuff, yeah. uh, which is fun, but also exhausting. Yeah. But also FF16, I think 16, I think very specifically, and this is a thing that I haven't seen a lot of people talk about, but I do want to just really put a, put a hard point on, is Final Fantasy VII Remake. Remake was the subtitle of that game and is not the subtitle of the next game, which I think is... Yeah, it's Rebirth. Which is very... It's not Remake Part 2 colon Rebirth. It's Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. And I think that really paints the first game in a completely different light when you know that. Like, thinking back on the experience of playing Remake, I'm like, knowing that that is not... That is not, like, what they're attempting to do, but that is actually part of just the title fascinating very interesting i also i also think it's cool like i think that that is i, I i've yeah, often said as much as <laughs> we have a it's not a bonus but it's basically a bonus we have two episodes two all about episodes, ff7 yeah. remake <laughs> uh one is spoiler free one is spoiler centric i loved it i thought it was great me too um i do think the game has plenty of issues and i think we use the phrase like the game constantly winks at what a disaster it could have been like in the game <laughs> But overall, I think like I think on a creative level, Mm -hmm. that game to me is one of the gold standards of a remake in general, because they're not just recreating the source material, but they're using the original FF7 as as a source of inspiration in in a a sense. They're simultaneously really recapturing those characters in a great way, uh, but also telling a a slightly different story and, and, you know, not just. Like, this is the same game, but it looks better. Yeah. So I'm excited to see where it goes. But FF16 is just a clean slate. It's like, I don't know what the hell it's going to be still. We got <laughs> operatic choir of giant summons, and the choir was saying their names, yeah. which rules. Like, I'm just excited to see what that is. Because, like, as much as Final Fantasy has a lot of peaks and valleys and quality, like, it's always a new thing. And that's that's very exciting when a new one comes out. you're like, what on earth are we getting into this time? <laughs> uh, so very excited about that. But um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to check out Voice of Cards. I I liked the first one enough that I I definitely think I'll enjoy the second. Would Would you recommend playing both Forsaken Maiden and Beast of Burden, or just cutting right to Beast of Burden? The reason that I had pitched Forsaken Maiden to you specifically was because it is super nautical. 
Um, okay, cool. Yeah. But honestly, yeah. I think just skip to Beast of Burden and give that a shot because I I, I think yeah. I think that that game is so on a other level than the first two um, that it is probably worth checking out. I don't know how it like you know I'm I'm three hours into it at the moment. I don't know how it's going to be by like hour eight nine ten, and I imagine like the others is probably like twelve hours maximum. But the first three hours, I I, I thought to be like really really great. Cool. They're also pretty. I'm excited to check it out. And yeah. and the first two are very much on sale currently on steam believe it or not perfect i mean i'll, I'll probably i imagine these will probably be bundled together too at a certain point i think one I and two are bundled together right easily. now and i imagine as you said yeah. like whenever the fourth one comes out because you know talking about square enix next year they have those two final fantasy games i imagine at least three or four more voice of cards games will come out in, in that time frame yeah uh and also and octopath too yeah and also yeah who knows what else we don't even know about yet you know yeah right unfortunately no more tokyo rpg factory games which makes me very sad that's true um but speaking of sort of retro rpgs on the steam deck yes. i've been playing a game uh, this game was actually recommended to me from a listener a while ago and i had made note of it but i think it was an early access and it was pc only so i i sadly marked it in my wish list on <laughs> on steam uh, knowing that I had no way of getting it, but I do now. It actually also just came out on Switch. So Whoa. if you are if you are like past ourselves and only have a Switch, <laughs> you can get it. It's called Potato Flowers in Full Bloom. Just an incredible title. Yeah. Um, and it is developed by Pon Pon Games. It, it is an indie game that is essentially a very classic dungeon crawler, but it's depicted in um this isn't the official term, but I like that we've coined it soft 3D, sort of the unrendered polygons. Yeah. Like it has that kind Shout of. to our friend Andrea. So essentially it kind of looks like that. Like all the characters sort of, sort of chibi-esque, but kind of just minimal unrendered polygons. The environments are also fairly simple, but charming. Music, incredible. The, the soundtrack is where it doesn't quite adhere to the minimalism. It's much more like mm. uh, immersive and, and, uh, and grand. So the game begins, you're a team of like three adventurers in this dungeon and you meet a, a dark elf who's like, Hey, like we got to reach this point in the dungeon. So at that mm-hmm. point you're walking around, it's in first person, you see the map you're uncovering. So if you've played each tree and odyssey or really any dungeon crawler, you know exactly what you're getting into. You're, you're walking around, you're looking around. I find that it's, I'm someone who gets lost very easily. And I find that the game is pretty good at the layout of things and of you know, having your map in the top right-hand corner yeah. really helps as well. And what I really like too is that it's not random encounters. You actually see the enemies in parts of the map. So if you open a door and see like a bunch of spiders, you can walk away. <laughs> That's what I would do if I saw a bunch of spiders when I opened the door. Yeah, I find with dungeon crawlers like I don't love like the like the first person dungeon crawlers. I don't love that coupled with random encounters. Mm. Because that, I think, accentuates the annoying part of random encounters. Seeing the enemy, I think, is a great touch. And also, you'll have stuff like, you know, there are areas that are dark. And if you're in a dark area, you actually can't see your map. So um, if you pull up your torch, you'll see your map again. And you can light torches as you go around. So the game kind of makes you play a tutorial of sorts. So your three characters... I don't know if it's random or not, but in my case, I had like a, a orc warrior. I had a, a gnome wizard mm-hmm. and a and a human ranger or maybe an elf ranger. I'm not sure. Um, but I was walking around with them and combat. Very simple. It's kind of fun because it like it pivots from first person to kind of an isometric view. And it's all in darkness except for the little corner of the map you're on. Mm. And 
like Into the Breach, the enemy will forecast what their attack is going to be. Oh, nice. So while the combat is really simple, it actually is immediately more strategic because you're given that information. And they add a thing, too, where you have health and spirit, which is your magic, but you also have stamina. So every time you do a move, it drains your stamina a little bit. And if it's your turn and you have no stamina, you can't do anything but rest. Same applies to the enemy. So like you actually have to, it reminds me a little bit of the Bloodborne board game, weirdly, where like you had to really, in Bloodborne in general and Souls games in general, where you have to really monitor what actions you're taking based on your stamina. So it kind of applies a turn-based filter to that idea. You can take a turn to rest and you'll regain all your stamina. Um, And it's interesting because the enemy will also do that and they'll broadcast that they're resting. And that's either like, depending on how the battle is going, that can mean, okay, let's also all rest or we have an opportunity to strike. Let's all attack at once. Mm. And I think that that's a great, like that's a great just ebb and flow to give the battle, like to have that sort of like reset to be part of it. Yeah. It feels like a different version of what square was trying to do with the bravely default games in a way. Yeah, exactly. The combat is pretty, I don't want to say it's hard, but you'll get knocked out very quickly. So what the prologue is trying to teach you is sort of the ebb and flow of combat, like right. what you should prioritize. It's it's one of those turn-based games where you do have to use guard. I feel like I never defend. I'm like, I'm not going <laughs> to waste a turn defending. In this game, like you should, you know, if you see like, okay, there are three enemies attacking this one character, they're going to guard, but the other two are going to do this. I find that what starts as very simple and kind of, potentially run-of-the-mill turn-based combat becomes much more engaging because of all these factors you have to consider. Mm -hmm. So once you beat the boss in the prologue, you then are given this really like kind of sad but charming cutscene of the Dark Elf friend of yours uh, finding this village and like cleaning it up and, and reclaiming a tavern. Then kind of in, in the realm of like Dragon Quest three or Final Fantasy one, you make your party of adventurers so you can choose like kind of again it's minimal but kind of like what do they look like what's their race so there's the classic like elf orc gnome whatever um and then you can choose what their classes so i basically you can have eight characters um and i i basically just made one of each class but you can only choose three to go out adventuring with what i really like is when you're in the tavern you see all the characters just kind of hanging out and like there's not really a ton of story all you're really told is that the world is kind of uh in rough shape and it's really hard to grow anything Mm. so like there are legends of potato seeds in this deep labyrinth that like hence the title of the game you're trying to discover to like get a chance to reclaim this land yeah but what's really nice too is like you see this all your party mates interacting in the tavern. And then when you're also exploring the dungeon, whenever you pull up the menu, the camera will zoom out and you'll see your three adventurers doing whatever they're doing. So like if you're around the corner, you'll see like one character kind of peeping around to see what's ahead and the other two like nervously behind them. Or, you know, like it is, it's little touches like that, but it adds so much character and it does the thing you and I constantly talk about with RPGs that are minimal in this way, like you are giving them your own story. Yeah. You know, you are role playing if you want to. Um, and I don't know. I just find it to be really charming. And I think while it's definitely not like trying to radically change any of these very established conventions, I think the presentation is really unique. And I think that the, the atmosphere is very different from most dungeon crawlers I've played. And I, I really like the minimal presentation and I like the way battles are flowing. And I also like that when you die, 
it's not really the end of the world. You just sort of like you get thrown back um, to the tavern and you choose who you want to bring out. Like there's no permadeath or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go back and everything you've like the enemies will respawn, but everything you've already done is there. So like like I find in in when I played some of the older Etrian Odyssey games, which I think a lot of people consider like the gold standard for this type of of dungeon crawler yeah i can never really get into them i i I desperately want to try again but i just couldn't really do it um those the older entries in that series like you die and you just lose all your progress because you couldn't save and i'm like that's not really fun to me like i don't really love that like i i do like there's part of me that there is tension added when like i can lose progress but that's a very delicate line for me like once it just becomes like tedium i don't really feel the stakes i just feel frustrated Mm -hmm. this game is much easier to get into in that way and and because of that i think like if you're someone who maybe hasn't really played a lot of these types of games or just rpgs in general i think this is actually a great one to start with i think it's like a really beginner friendly rpg that still has a lot of nuance to it and i'm not super far but i really love this game and i really love its style and I think it might get overlooked just because like it's so hard to stand out in this, you know, genre. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause like it, you know, it, even yeah, amongst, I was I mean, just going to say both things it's trying to do, it's going to get buried. Yeah. Right. Cause it's like, you know, even Yoko Taro's games are not getting attention. Like, it's really <laughs> tough. Yeah. So, uh, I wanted to give this game a shout out because I think it's really special. And I think that, it's also a game that I just find really relaxing and comforting to return to. I, I, I've i found that while I struggle with Etrian and Odyssey and other games like that, I definitely have a dungeon crawler fan within me, given my love for Shimigami Tensei and Persona. And this game is, is really just all about the dungeon crawling. But I think with the presentation and its specific style of combat and its more player friendly punishment for death i think it's it's a much more approachable game than most of the genre yeah i am very interested in the fact that this is on switch so first of all i'm going to get this game this sounds great um (laughs) i'm really interested in the fact that it's on switch um actually let me just make sure it's on switch in the u.s because i do see it's on switch in japan but maybe not here yet not only is it on switch in the united states but it has a demo that you can download um i'm oh and it's on sale wow uh, this is this is a really interesting case for me because this is now this is me figuring out in real time like how I decide what I'm going to get for Switch for a Steam Deck. I think. Yeah. I think this is a situation where I will probably get this on Switch over the Steam Deck personally because as much as I love playing things on the deck and I love that like indie stuff like this is available on the deck, most of the situations in which I would pick something up on the deck are like this game is out. They've announced it's coming to switch, but we don't know when. So I just get it on the deck now and have my handheld experience with this indie game right now, instead of needing to wait. I feel like tunic until recently was also a great example of this where like tunic is going to be so fucking good in handheld. Like you and I played it on Xbox and that was awesome. And like, so glad it was on game pass, et cetera, et cetera. But the place to play tunic is going to be on a handheld device, whether that be switch or steam deck right now, currently, at the time of this recording, at least, the only place to do that is on Steam Deck versus, you know, a couple months from now when it's out on Switch or in a couple of weeks, actually, now that I think about it. This game, Potato Flowers in Full Bloom, is interesting because, like, if it were not on Switch already, I would obviously pick it up on the Steam Deck because it does sound like something that I would love to have in handheld and be able to, like, play, like, a little bit of before bed or something. But yeah. the reason that I would go to the Switch for this specifically is, like, the ease of switching back and forth between handheld and and the television mode is like 
so easy and the ability to just like pick up a pro controller and just like immediately be playing in docked mode like so quickly without needing to like plug in a cable and like switch the the uh, inputs on my mouse and keyboard or like you know disconnect my xbox controller from my xbox then connect it to the to the steam deck like things like that that little amount of friction is like actually just enough for me to say, why don't I just get it on switch instead, which is interesting. And I, and I wonder, I wonder how much I'm going to be bouncing back and forth between those two things over time. Yeah. I I definitely think there, there are games I'm already trying to figure out, which I want where for sure. Um, Cause honestly, like as much as there's been a lot of PC exclusive stuff, like the the track record of, of things coming to steam and also switch is like pretty common. Yes. Like, you know, it it seems, it seems relatively, uh, common enough that that's a thing this game's a great um, example because it's the only two places this thing is available right now like if you want to play this game you can either play it on steam or on switch yeah exactly but uh, it's really cool i I, i've been having a lot of fun with it i would recommend it um and you know i think with with rpgs like this like i i kind of like that there's one that's like a little bit it's not trying to dominate my time or life you know like not that like smt is but smt is such an intense game it's like it's asking a lot of you um playing smt for me feels like i'm going onto hbo max and switching to the turner classic movie section and deciding (laughs) what i'm gonna watch for my own enrichment yeah this is like the great british bake-off of of uh, dungeon crawlers it's just like yes Give me Paul Hollywood's glare. We got to reach yes, out to Pon Pon Games and, and give them that <laughs> quote to put on their website. That's such a good box quote. <laughs> it kind of fits with the potato. Oh, I, I named my team Gord Force. And oh, everyone great. is named after either a potato or t- a type of squash. Oh, I love that. So my my tank is named Russet, uh, which I think is a cool it's a great uh, name. name. For yeah, hell yeah. An orc knight. Yeah, it's, it's a great time. Butternut is the goblin wizard. <laughs> Um, that's such a good name for a goblin yeah. wizard. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to hear all of them? Yeah, hit me. <laughs> Let's see. You can't just uh, give me a taste. Okay, so Russet, uh, Russet is the orc knight. Uh-huh. I looked up. So the next character is named Laura, which you might be like, "How on earth is that a potato?" But I definitely googled types of potatoes, <laughs> and one of them had Laura in it. Let's see, Laura potato. Yeah, it just it's just actually Laura potato. Wow. Laura is a mid-season ripening, firm-fleshed edible potato. So Laura is a uh, dark elf rogue. Very cool. Edward, actually, Edward is is the goblin wizard. Edward is a King Edward potato. Mm. Butternut is actually the cleric, the the dwarf cleric, which is even better. Mm. I think. Goose. Gooseneck Squash is the half-elf uh, ranger. Pumpkin is a uh, gnome sorcerer or gnome. Uh, I don't know what class he is, but he's he's a gnome. Fig Leaf kind of looks like bi- has bileth hair, like the sort of green blue. Is a elf uh, druid, I believe. And Yukon is a human sorcerer. So that's Gord Force for I you. love the Gord Force. Thank you. I love them too. Right now, I've been I've been using Russet, Laura, and Butternut. That's like my current trio. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> and what's cool is as they level up you can choose like which skills they get this i will say that my one my one point of feedback is i think the skill tree is a little basic like um there's definitely a lot of options at first but i, I don't know like how varied it's going to get as they continue to level up mm-hmm. but you also have eight characters so like i thought like there's enough variety there that it's cool to see like okay what do i want to focus on here like the cleric has a lot of healing abilities but also has a lot of tank abilities and also has like turn undead like classic D stuff like that like you know wards and everything yeah. so um this, it's definitely fun to level up but i i do worry that's the one area where like you know unless there are other jobs to unlock potentially i, I wonder if that might uh 
halt the gourd force's potential mm. um but they're doing their best so oh, i'm excited to find out yeah i i'm, I'm definitely yeah. gonna pick this game up <laughs> i'm excited to hear your squad's name one more thing that you and i are both playing on the steam deck currently which we've already oh, yes. too many times we'll try and keep this one brief because we have we have another <laughs> segment planned for this episode uh but i'm editing this one so whatever we do it's just masochism for me i'll just i'll just buckle down and edit it no matter Bring how it long on. it is yeah always worth mentioning that these episodes have chapter markers in them embedded into it so your podcast player of choice should be able to allow you to skip around but we're both playing persona 4 golden baby on the steam deck as we mentioned so it works great but- out of the box controller support yeah right one thing that i wanted to mention right at the top if you've played this on vita like i have in the past um there are more options in this version for persona 4 golden than there were on the vita version including the yeah. japanese voice cast which honestly has made it a completely different game for me um and has made this yeah. the freshest attempt at playing persona 4 that i've ever had <laughs> Yeah, so for the, I I don't exactly know, it's kind of surreal for me because I've only played vanilla Persona 4, and that was, I played Persona 4 right before we started recording together. Mm. The show, not this episode. (laughs) Yes, the show, like 2018, (laughs) because I've said before, I, I think I would definitely credit Persona 5 with getting me back into games in a big way. Like I definitely I, I picked up stuff and I and I played a good amount of stuff. But like Persona 5 was the first like, you know, at the time new PS4 game that I was like, oh, I'm really excited about what's next here. This is a really exciting game to me. It was my first Persona game as well. So it like totally blew my mind. And once I finished that, I started I missed it so much. I started new game plus. And then I was like, what am I doing? Like, I have a PS2. It's right in front of me. Let me play the other two. So I, I ordered Persona 3 Fez and Persona 4 for the PS2. I finished Persona 4 in like a couple weeks, feverishly. Uh, and then I started Persona 3 Fez. And at that point, I'm like, I need a break. Like I, <laughs> I see demons when I close my eyes. I need, to, I need to move on. And I didn't finish that playthrough of 3 until shortly before we recorded our big Persona 3, 4, and 5 patron bonus with our good friends, Callie Barth Dwyer and Alana Oaken. So if you want, you know, if you're a patron and you want to hear more about our full thoughts on all the games, Brendan's not in that episode, sadly. I imagine one day you and I will do something Persona related again. Like, it's not like the book isn't closed on that, but I really wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. I really wanted to do a three, four and five episode, but for that episode, I had only played the original version of four. So for those who don't know, Persona 4 came out on PS2 in 2008, and then it came out again on the PlayStation Vita, a Vita exclusive, in 2012. That's why I bought a Vita. I remember that being a big deal, even outside of people who, you know, like, well, I would, I would say that like Persona 3 and 4 on the PS2 definitely were very popular games in the US, but I yeah. feel like Golden kind of set the stage for what would be Persona 5's like giant Yes. entry point into the main i find this is you know? a common thing with games specifically where like yes a franchise can be around for a long time but like a breakthrough release is usually set up for the next actual breakthrough release more than it is anything else right like, even like FromSoft, i think is a great example where like yes the dark souls games had existed for a long time and bloodborne and then sekiro was kind of like a huge deal when it came out 
which really yeah. just like set the table for Elden Ring being the biggest game of the year. I feel like Dragon Quest yeah. eight into Dragon Quest eleven is another great example totally. of that. It just like this seems to be a recurring thing with like longstanding game franchises or at least like studios also. Absolutely. So and Atlas has the habit of doing this where they'll release a game and then like a couple years later they'll release like a definitive version of it. Yeah. But I think in, in it's interesting because with Persona three there was Persona 3 and then Persona 3 Fez, on, both on PS2. And Fez was sort of like the upgraded version of it that had some bonus content. Right. But then they ported it to the PlayStation Portable, the PSP. And it was kind of an updated version, but also kind of held back. Scaled because back at the time, ways, yeah. The PSP wasn't as powerful as the PS2. But then once the Vita came out, they're like, yeah, we'll port Persona 4 to the Vita. But they're like, wait, this is actually more powerful than the PS2. We can add some stuff. And that is largely considered the definitive version of Persona 4. And I, I never really knew why. Because I'm like, I played the PS2 version and it was pretty cool. I had a great time <laughs> with it. What's what's so fancy about this PlayStation Vita I hear about? Um, Let me count the ways, Stephen. Yeah, been wanting to play Persona 4 Golden for a long time. It was finally ported to steam in 2020 and instantly became one of the best-selling jrpgs on the platform i think it sold over a million units um and i think again you know now that persona is this widely beloved mainstream success there are a lot of people who maybe played five who had never played the other ones and had no way to play them because most people don't have a ps2 lying around or you know like if you're not emulating it there's really no easy way to get a vita and why would you get a vita for one game which i was very close to doing (laughs) so this is like when when we were having our steam decks like pending arrival i was like persona 4 golden is gonna be something i get and i was you know i was really excited about the potential switch launch of it um and i think you're right that the oled might be the best way to play it but uh doesn't have a date on it that's a you know it gets back to what we were talking about before like there's no date they've just said like maybe 2023 and it was 20 dollars on steam so i'm like the time is now i can finally play persona 4 golden yeah it just it's just incredible like it's (laughs) i i think i really think playing it again I'm, i'm like five hours in i just got to i'm like halfway through the first dungeon yeah it's really solidified i'm like this is one of the all-time rpgs i think that this is like one alongside like final fantasy 7 and and like yeah it's just a landmark release and you know we talk about this a lot uh, i talked about this a lot with alana and callie in our patron bonus like persona 4 has a lot of issues with it narratively um yes. without getting too into it it's a game that is all about confronting your inner self um whereas persona 5 the premise is like a group of teenagers who gain the ability to like enter one's psyche. Um, and that whole game is kind of structured where there's like a new villain and you go into that villain's mind and like attack their source of corruption, basically yeah. like literally fight their inner demons Yeah, and persona four it's turned inwards. So rather than going into villain's head, you're actually sort of going to the mind of all of your friends and in its best moments, it can be so powerful and it's still pretty amazing like i there aren't a lot of games that go to the places persona 4 goes and i think that's admirable like i think that especially when this game came out on the ps2 like look at the other rpgs and games coming out that have a narrative focus and here's a game that is attempting to portray the like the uncertainty of youth and like really struggling with your mind and Mm. the thoughts you have that you know aren't you but like how do you balance that and like I think it's a really powerful story that's all about accepting yourself. Yeah. So in stark contrast with that, it really stands out when there are really 
awful moments of homophobia and transphobia. And there's a lot of writing about this because essentially there are two characters that are clearly struggling with both their sexuality and their gender identity. There are moments where the game handles it really well. And those characters are great. Uh, we say this sometimes off the show where like there are some pieces of media where the characters are better than the script, but the script kind of fails them. Yeah. Um, I think uh, AJ and Kim had a lot of conversations about that in 13 Sentinels with the two uh, queer characters in that game who are like incredible characters that are really let down by the script. And I think in both games, you can tell that there were writers and there was like an attempt to like in this game that's all about accepting your true self. What better place to explore these identities and these struggles that people have. Um, and yet there's like kind of a, a pedaling away from it at the same time. There was even an article recently, I think on the gamer that, uh, there's a mod that adds cut content back into the game. Cause one of the characters was supposed to be openly bisexual and like have a romance with the protagonist. Oh wow! And they, they like cut that from the, like there's a recorded lines of dialogue for that story that were removed, which is such a shame. Yeah. So I think that is one big caveat to know going into this game that like it's from 2008, it's going to have really rough moments, but I really do think it's one of the best executions of a slice of life RPG. Like the moments where you're just able to really structure your time and spend time with these characters. It's such a vulnerable game. And I also really appreciate that like the, you know, every persona game has things called S links where there are characters that you get to know better over time. And then you get abilities from that relationship progressing. So very similar to three houses in that way. Mm -hmm. But like as much as I love persona five and I think persona five Royal is like, that's like, the peak. That's like the yeah. best one. <laughs> um, uh, a lot of the confidants are very big characters. It's like, oh, it's the kid at the arcade who's like got a backwards baseball cap and is the best at the game. It's like the fortune teller on the street or Bernie Sanders who's running for president. Right. Like they're all like very uh, interesting characters, but they're also. Uh, very much characters, whereas a lot of the S-Links in Persona 4 are just like, these are the guys on your track team. But there's nothing really extraordinary about them. They're just people in your life. Yet that works so harmoniously with the louder elements of the story of like going into these palaces and fighting monsters with your persona, which in this game is established to be like, once you're able to face the repressed side of yourself and say, you're part of me, but I am also myself it then becomes a superpower which i think is a really cool message very similar to celeste in that way where like in celeste the character is constantly haunted by sort of their negative self like the the part of their mind that they don't want to fully recognize and yet there's an instinct to fight that and say like you're not me i don't need you but then when you realize that that is also part of you but you're in control as much as they are that's when you can really achieve great things yeah. and really accept yourself and love yourself. And that's what the game is saying. And, it, and it's still, I think it's still a standout narrative in that regard that like, that is what this game from almost 20 years ago is trying to say um, in one of the most stylish and fun presentations. And I think it's really one of like having just played SMT four and just played like a lot of Atlas stuff on the DS. I think it's one of the best executions of that combat as Mm. well. Like I just, the battles are so fun. They're over so quick. I love the battle theme and golden (laughs) adds so many quality. Like I cannot believe I played the PS2 one. Like I was the only one who did. I think everyone else played golden, (laughs) but like you level up way faster. So you're not grinding as much. Yeah. 
um, you're able to choose your reward after winning, which sounds like a no brainer, but you couldn't in the original. Um, and there's just so much more content. I haven't played it in so long that it all feels really fresh. Mm. I do think it has a slow start. I think like it doesn't really become the game until maybe like a few hours in. Yeah. Like once you similar to Persona 5, like until you have like a goal, like a deadline in the calendar and uh, control over your day, it's not really the game you're playing yet. Um, yeah, but it's a visual just, novel like, fully... for about four hours, I would say. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's 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 engaging, but I also think like also having just finished Persona Three Fez, like Persona Five and Persona Three open with a bang, like they're so immediately gripping. Yeah. And Persona Four is a little, it's more understated. It's a little bit of a weirder opening, and you might be put off by it initially, but like. Man, it's so nice to be back in this story. Like, I love revisiting the Persona games because it really does feel like revisiting old friends in that way. Mm. It's it's a really beautiful experience. So that's like my overview of it. But playing it on the Steam Deck has just been incredible. And uh, I'm really glad there's a way to play this game now because I do think it's it's just an incredible experience. Yeah, it's just one of those situations where like Atlas was putting out those surveys every year just saying like if we ported persona <laughs> to anything would that be exciting to you and you know like everyone would share it around almost like a change.org uh petition yeah. you know like everyone needs to fill this out as quickly as possible and then they wouldn't do anything for like years and years and years yeah they would port persona q to the 3ds right, yeah. and be like that's what you wanted right and then eventually this happened as you mentioned like number one top seller on steam uh for a couple weeks and absolutely crushed sales wise and now I think because of that, you know, a couple of years later, we're seeing the fruits of that, you know, putting your money where your mouth is kind of situation uh, where we're now getting these games on a bunch of different platforms. But it is nice to go back and say, like, yes, I have a Steam Deck. I can play Persona 4 Golden already right now. My just to give a brief overview, my history of Persona 4 Golden. Um, as I mentioned, I bought a Vita to play this game. I got like maybe 15 to 20 hours in and like really, really, really liked it. Um, but also needed to move on to other games because it was while we were writing for a different video game website. Um, so I was like tasked with like reviewing other stuff. So I needed to move on and I just didn't really have the time to keep going and spending enough time away from that game. I found it hard to go back to it. Yeah. Yeah. Over the years I've tried to dive in and play it. I've made it over that four hour hurdle. I would say like maybe five times at this point <laughs> I've, I've done it twice on the, which is the full length of God of war. Just for context, <laughs> like, playing that opening five times is, yeah. is most PlayStation studio triple a games. Yeah. I did it twice on the Vita once emulated the PS2 version, uh, which didn't go very well. Um, and then again on the Vita and then again, on the Ein Odin with the PS2 version because I thought to myself, I'm never going to get a Steam Deck. They're never going to send me the email. So I might as well try and run it on this thing that I have. Um, so it did it again on on the PS2 version, uh, which is where I'm really noticing the quality of life improvements because that was pretty recent. That was like a couple months ago that I tried doing that um, and found it to be pretty difficult. And then they announced that they were coming to Switch and I was like, cool, I can sit back. I can wait for this to happen on Switch. Um, it's very interesting playing it on the Steam Deck. I do think I might still wait for the Switch version, if I'm being totally honest. Mm. Um, as much as I love that it's on the Steam Deck, I don't know what's happening outside, sorry. As much as I love that it's happening on the Steam Deck, I, I am very much looking forward to having 3, 4, and 5 on the Switch. My biggest concern is that Persona 5 Royal is coming out on Switch next month, and Persona 4 Golden is coming out at like a questionable who knows when time. 
I feel like if I dive into Persona 4 Golden, I'm like, I'm going to play this game in earnest right now. In literally a couple weeks, I will have Persona 5 on the Switch and that will take up all of my time <laughs> and I will drop Persona 4 and never play it again. And that's that's yeah. my biggest concern. So I'm, as, although I have it on Steam, I put my money where my mouth is. I was happy to see them port it, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to sit back on it until I have played Persona 5 on Switch because I really do want to finish that game finally. Um, and and I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. But that having been said, I'm so glad that this exists and works on this on uh, the Steam Deck. Yeah, this this in the in the case of of my playing it, like this is the only one. Or I guess I haven't played one and two. One day, well, just to say I've done it, you know. But uh, <laughs> I I have never played Persona Four Golden before, so this is just so thrilling to me. Yeah. But um, I think you're right that like if you haven't finished five, I would say like if you want to get into the series, Five Royal is like absolutely the one to play yeah. <laughs> even in golden like they do a much better job telling you like how to play it at all the the ps2 version is is like just totally absent it's like yeah good luck it's like i don't have any context for anything nothing's labeled <laughs> everything's like kind of gray and cloudy but uh yeah i i think uh play persona 5 first and then if you love it uh i would say check out four or three depending on which one strikes you more yeah it doing that patron bonus what i've realized and i think why atlas always bundles them all together is like they really are all excelling at different things you know i think five is just the best game overall and is you know i think is just sort of like the the best execution of this idea over time four is best at the slice of life you know more lower stakes part of it mm-hmm. um and three just has the best actual story i think like the Three is a game that I don't think you'll really appreciate until you've actually seen the ending. Like once you beat four and five, you'll be happy you did it, but you'll be like, that was a great series of seasons that I watched. Whereas Mm. three, like it all kind of comes together in the finale, which is a really beautiful experience. I'm, I'm really hoping, I don't want to get my hopes too high, but I'm really hoping that this port of persona three portable gives it some kind of golden treatment. Like I think, this is this is a old request at this point, but I think Persona Three is a good enough game that it needs that like Sapphire version or something because I think it's just such a cool experience that is honestly that like even for me that was really hard to get through. It's like very it is not kind to you playing <laughs> it, and that's also kind of the experience. But I think most people are not going to have the patience for persona three mm-hmm. and they'll be right. Whereas I think like if you sand it off the edges a little bit, that that game would do extraordinarily well. Uh, it's, it's a really cool experience. So yeah. anyway, golden is wonderful. I'm glad I'm finally playing it. I can see the hype. <laughs> I get the hype. Well, that concludes our steam deck segment. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, this will be a, you know, we'll, we will continue playing for, it. Yeah, so forever. Sure we'll, we'll, We're actually, we're going to yeah. send them back to valve. Thanks Gabe for <laughs> giving us a shot. Thanks Gabe. Two, Two fledgling content creators out here in the Aether. We're so glad to be able to play our Steam decks for a couple Some days. Some exciting stuff. I'm going to plant this potato seed of, of intrigue here. <laughs> okay. I One of the games that I immediately downloaded that I'm really excited to play, that I also know is on Mac. I feel like I, I didn't know that for a while, but I think will be really fun to play on the Steam Deck, is the Half-Life 2 series. That has been on my backlog for forever. It's like saying you're a film buff and having not seen like The Godfather. Like I, I get it. I, I need to play it. So... I, I can't but think that that will be potentially a bonus one day. But regardless, we did like, say on the show, if we ever got Steam decks, we would play Half-Life 2. Yeah, I think a Half-Life 2 like sometime next year that will happen. And I'm so excited because that every now and then, like we've said, there's a bonus where it's like we're kind of giving ourselves the mission to play something big we missed. Yeah. Like 
uh, eco was that um, we've done that before, and I think Half Life Two is going to be a really yeah cool one to experience. I've never played. I I played the very beginning of it like ten years ago, mm. but I, I I need to. I have played Half Life Two. I've not played the episodes like the expansion episodes yeah, one and which two. I'm yeah, really excited to check out. I don't know if we can get to Half Life Alex. Maybe one day, but I don't know <laughs> if we're going to have the full setup in time. But at the very least, we'll do like the original Half Life Two, and then maybe. The episodes in some capacity. I could see a situation um, in which Half-Life Alex comes to PSVR 2, in which case I will play mm, it. Yeah. I hear people who have been able to play it, I've heard nothing but good things. Yeah, so yeah. once I'm onboarded as a fan, I'm sure I'll, I'll make it happen somehow. I will give a shout out to three games that I have uh, checked out a little bit on the Steam Deck that I will probably bring to episodes uh, in the future, or maybe not, but I just want to shout them out just in case I don't bring them up, but I, I, I plan on it. Uh, one is a game that I also had a listener recommend to me called Taiji, um, which is very, very similar to The Witness, but kind of like a top down isometric pixel art game oh, in cool. which you're like running around and solving puzzles. They're not line puzzles like The Witness. It's a completely different kind of puzzle. Um, I've already put like an hour into it and I'm really enjoying it. So I might talk about it, but honestly, I don't know how much there is to say outside of like, if you want a good puzzle game, go play Taiji. It's really hard to talk about puzzle games yeah. unless you're like interviewing the person who made it. I feel like there's a lot of <laughs> games. Like I love Patrick's Parabox and uh, Lara Croft Go, but like it's hard to really say more than that. I have been playing Patrick's Parabox on the Steam Deck, by the way. It's awesome. Because again, like Steam just gives you your cloud saves everywhere. So I just picked up where yeah. I left off, which was awesome. Also, I didn't realize this, but I sure did have like a four or five hour save file in the Elder Scrolls Four Oblivion that I just picked up uh, with a guy named Poo Poo. <laughs> he was a he, what's what's he good at? Uh, it seemed like nothing. I immediately deleted him. <laughs> I mean that that adds <laughs> Poo Poo. <laughs> If there's a if there's a chance that saved data could be sentient, what a horrific existence that would yeah. be to be made named Poo Poo left, left idly for years, yeah, and then deleted over a decade. That's probably. like a, yeah. There there are a couple episodes on uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation where they what accidentally make really a cool. sentient. Yeah, it sounds pretty cool. <laughs> you can play on the Steam Deck. Uh, there are a couple episodes where they inadvertently make Moriarty in the holodeck. Yep. Uh, and he becomes sentient and they're they should be like the worst episodes ever. And they're somehow they're awesome. Some of the yeah. best. I love them. Usually yeah. holodeck episodes are good. Um, yeah. Two other games. I've already mentioned them, but I just want to shout them out again. Noida, which I'm really excited about. Um, it's a roguelike that I've heard so, so, so much about specifically on uh, Eggplant, The Secret Life of Games, which is a great podcast. If you haven't checked it out. I'm really excited to check this game out. I've, I've, I've had it waiting in the wings for a long time. Um, and then, as I mentioned, also The Wandering Village, which is a new indie game. It's like a city builder. I'm excited to play really that. Sounds about. awesome. Yeah. Um, so really, really excited about those three. Um, the Steam Deck, very cool. Uh, excited to talk about it more in the future. I'm sure we'll talk about it again next week uh, as we continue to dive into it. Absolutely. That's it for now. That's it for now. Let's take a break. Wow. This is such a long episode. I love it. Uh, yeah. Let's Whoops. take a break and come back and talk about some more stuff. Sounds good. See you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Steven, we're back. Uh, hey. Although we have Steam Decks, I sure have been playing a lot of the Nintendo Switch. Yes. I know, you know, we were lightly dunking on the Nintendo Switch before. You and I love it. It's a wonderful system. Will be forever one of my all-time favorite consoles. Uh, I've been playing two games, one of which is a demo that you and I have been eagerly anticipating, and I'm very excited. Yeah. About. As I mentioned um, earlier, Tokyo Game Show is like happening currently uh will be over by the time this episode is out but it has been happening and a lot of really cool announcements just like across the board I, the only one that i really want to highlight because i don't know you and i haven't talked about it at all and I, I don't even know if you know about it i don't know how much you've been keeping an eye on tgs but they announced a bunch of yakuza games yeah uh, 
which it's seemed, now like a dragon, right? That they yes, renamed the series, which yeah. I didn't realize was always the name of those games in Japan, which is fascinating. Yeah. Um, so like a dragon eight was announced. You got Ichiban and Kiryu. Kiryu's got a new name. He's got gray hair. Awesome. They're releasing another game, uh, that is going to be the link between the last game featuring Kiryu and this one as well, uh, in which he like renames himself and becomes a new guy, which I'm like really stoked about. And then also a remake of an old, I think PS2 or PS3 game that takes place like way, 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 way back. So you're like Kiryu running around like an old village with a samurai sword, but it's <laughs> but it's still Yakuza. Fucking amped about all of that. Like that's yeah, I, I'm really excited. I I really am really excited to see where the Ichiban stuff goes because you know, like a dragon was definitely like a passing of the baton. Uh, yeah. Although I'm glad like Kiryu is such a good character, they can't let him go. It's so funny. Yeah. Like they just have to keep making games for the minute. Yeah. I am enjoying yeah. my, uh, like waltz through the Yakuza games. I'm still working on zero. Um, I did for a brief moment, consider picking it up on steam and playing it on the steam deck instead, mm. but I'm, I'm far enough in on Xbox that I like, I'm going to finish it there, but I might play Kiwami two on steam. Yeah. I might, I actually might do, cause I started Kiwami and we talked about it. I yeah. loved it. I, I'm early on enough that I might actually do Kiwami on steam deck yeah right and that exciting and and zero i i feel like that's another i don't want to keep teasing bonuses but i feel like zero to kuami two that would be a great like block of yakuza story Yo, you know i love that if you want yeah. that let us know yeah please i'm sure i i can see the the messages like already being typed uh, <laughs> uh anyway also wanted to shout out we actually had two episodes last week so we had the one uh where dom filled in for me thank you again to dom uh, the day before that was a Nintendo Direct that we also did an episode about immediately because, I mean, we couldn't not because it was so exciting. Yeah. One of the things yeah. they announced in that Nintendo Direct was a demo for a game called Harvestella, which you and I have been very excited about. We talked a lot, and this seems to be a lot of the discourse about the Nintendo Direct specifically. There are a lot of farming sims in there, four specifically. You and I are excited about different ones for different reasons, but one that we've been keeping an eye on for the longest time is Harvestella. It's it essentially, like, really boiled down to its, like, basis shit. It's just what if Square Enix made Rune Factory seemed to be the pitch. It kind of reminds me of how you framed when Apex Legends came out. It's like, what if like the big company that makes this genre made the popular genre that everyone else is making? Yeah. You know, I'm also curious about it. And it's, what I'm also really intrigued by, which we talked a little bit about in that episode, but like they're releasing uh, Rune Factory 3 special on yeah. the Switch, which is funny. Uh, but they also ended that with like, there's going to be a whole new series from the Rune Factory team yeah. eventually, which I'm so curious what that means. Because I, we've said this before, like Rune Factory is a series that we both like really enjoy, but like feel like there's there's like a piece missing or like there's there's a really cool idea there that hasn't fully crystallized yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and no disrespect to anyone, like th- those games have a very passionate fan base. I've really enjoyed them. I I love them in my own way, but I also like feel like there there's still a lot of potential for that idea yes. um, which i think is why there's all these other 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 rpg farm games coming out because that that initial pitch is so strong that i feel like everyone has their own take on it that, seems like such an obvious yeah. slam dunk of yeah. a kind of game yeah and, yeah, and right. I, I do feel like rune factory as much as i loved four and enjoyed five you know to the best of yeah. my ability um they both felt a little bit like they left some to be desired and yeah totally harvestella seemed like the closest we might possibly get to somebody figuring it out and uh there's a demo it's available on the nintendo switch i have played through the demo at this point 
if you download the demo, your progress carries over. Very Square Enix move um, to the full game. It is not available on Steam, unfortunately, the demo, which is strange. I wonder if it'll come later. I have looked online as well, and the response, even in our own Discord, but like just generally speaking online, I have found the the conversation around the Harvestella demo to be really polarizing. Like people really don't seem to know where they land on this game. Um, I will say that having played it, I really enjoyed it, and I'm definitely going to pick it up. I think I think this is serving me closer to what I was expecting. I think a lot of people are a little bit more bummed, and, and this is kind of the big difference. The story and the JRPG side of this game is what takes precedence. The farming and like life sim part of it is very much in the background, at least mm. in the demo. And that might change in the full release. And I think there are some nuances here and there. I just think this game maybe doesn't put its best foot forward in the demo. I think that's really the problem more than anything else. Because... The way the demo works is the first, I think it's 15 days, but it's the first two chapters of the game. Chapter one, you are completely railroaded. Like you are going through the story. They are teaching you how to farm, obviously, like in between that. But for the most part, like you are going in and doing like the JRPG, like combat side of things. Chapter two is where they really double down on that even more, where a character like goes missing and you need to go find them. And they are in like the first big main dungeon which is where you like meet a bunch of party members and they join your team and you like have to make your way through and it's going to take a couple days to get all the way through. So you need to like find out how to teleport back home. Like it's still a tutorial, right? Like they're still teaching you how to travel back and forth. All of that said, you can ignore that completely if you want to and just stay home and farm, which is like kind of nice actually. Um, I have found that there were a couple days here and there where I decided instead of like going into the dungeon and progressing the story, I would just like hang back, tend to my farm uh, and then like go into town, sell some stuff, pick up some new stuff. I learned to fish, you know, things like that. Like I would just spend the day fishing where this game, I think is letting people down specifically is the rate at which days pass is really, really fast when you're running around in the over uh, the overworld from like point A to point B, like from your farm to a dungeon or from your farm to the town or something. Time passes like 10 minutes will go by every second which really means that like you need to rush from point A to point B, which doesn't feel apt for a life sim, right? Where you want to kind of like lean back and like enjoy the vibes. Um, the second thing is again, this focus on the JRPG side. I really think the chapters one and two are just setting up a story and that once you hit chapter three, it'll like kind of let you do whatever you want. But chapters one and two, when you sit back and like tend to your farm, like fucking grow onions or something, it feels so much like Fallout 4 where you see your baby ripped from your arms and you wake up and you decide to like go fuck off and not go find them. <laughs> like it really right, has right. that problem because there's yeah. like a big life or death scenario happening and you're choosing instead to grow onions, you know? Yeah, and that this reminds me of uh, what we talked about when you brought up Strange Horticulture where like mm. I think one of the better approaches to these dual gameplay games of like half farm life sim half rpg which i think persona is probably the best like <laughs> ebb and flow of that yeah um is that i think i i really think it works better if the stakes are lower like even rune factory which has the problem of eventually it is a save the world get the crystal story mm-hmm. like early on it doesn't you don't really know what like it's it's very like um like not quite at the surface yet of like what the main plot is going to be. You're just sort of getting a sense of place and then the story ramps up. Right. Yeah. Whereas I think if you lead with the story ramping up, you're right. It's like, why am I doing this yeah. when the world is at stake? So I think it's important to like, 
I, I think it's more compatible with a life sim to have the character be simply part of the world as opposed to the chosen one. But I do think there's, I think persona is an example of like you are, you and your party are the determining factor of the story. Right. But I think the slice of life moments and in that game, it's kind of more psychological where like the importance of the battles are sort of like a different perception of what daily life is like. It's, yeah. it's very similar. I think that's in the that most way. important thing is, is yeah. the intertwining of the two sides yes. of the game yes. and making one important to the other and vice versa. I think strange horticulture, as you mentioned, is a really good example of that. Where like, yes, you're tending to a flower shop really. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you by doing that are impacting the world in a greater way and impacting the story in a greater way. And by selling people the right or wrong kinds of plants, you are making decisions and, and impacting the way the story exactly. is going to unfold. Whereas I feel like in something like rune factory, like you really are deciding back and forth between which of these two things you're going to do. And one yeah. doesn't super affect the other outside of the same way it does in Harvestella to be clear, which is like when you're out in the world and like going around in dungeons and killing monsters and stuff, you are picking up resources and things that you can use to make your farm better and vice versa. That having been said, I really do think this is just a case of like the demo saying we're going to put you through the first two chapters, which is the introduction to the game, teach you how to play what the stakes are. I have to imagine in chapter three, it's going to like ease back and be a little bit less end of the world D and be more like you can chill out. There is like a lingering plot that you can go tend to if you'd like to. But for the most part, it's going to be a life sim. The other side of it, I think, is actually that the life sim stuff is really light. And I think that's what's rubbing a lot of people the wrong way, too. Whereas Rune Factory, there's a lot of this focus on, like, getting to know the people in the town, falling in love, getting married, things like that. Just like in, you know, the Story of Seasons games and Harvest Moon, it's like you're getting married, having kids. You're all, like, adventuring together or, like, tending to the farm together, things like that. Harvestella doesn't seem to be doing that at all. Like, there are people that you can get to know in town, but you're not, like, leveling up, like, a friendship meter. You're not, like really getting to know them through gameplay. It's more like through moments in which the story wants you to. So the life sim part really is just kind of hanging out in this town and in your farm and farming, which I have seen rubbing people the wrong way. What I think this is really for me, at least, you know, even as a person who already likes this kind of game, I think this is more of an onboarding for people who aren't used to this kind of game. Like, I do think this is maybe the best on ramp to this genre of video game yeah. than most other ones have been because of how many systems are at play in a game like Rune Factory or even Stardew Valley. It can be daunting. It's like, OK, I totally, need to yeah. level up the friendship meter with this person who lives in Stardew Valley. I, and I keep giving them gifts and they fucking hate them. Like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> or like the game isn't teaching like when you I a gave whole the lot. wizard sap on his birthday. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Things like that. Like there are things that you just don't really know or can't wrap your head around without like Googling or like essentially brute forcing your way into success. Harvestella, by being more of like a, a real time action combat like JRPG first and then being a farming sim second means that people who are coming from that world of like a Final Fantasy 15 or something are going to have a much easier time, I think, understanding what this game is all about. And that will lull them into understanding why people like these life sim games. Um, I, I've, I've heard it described, I think, on DLC as Chorecore, which I really love the name <laughs> of. That's great. Yeah. This game is first an action combat game and second a Chorecore game. And what they really nail, I think, and the way they ease you into that is the presentation is unbelievable. It runs so well on the Switch. Yeah, I've heard it looks great so, on the Switch. Yeah. It looks so beautiful, Steven. And the music is like maybe some of the best music I've heard out of Square Enix, even like alongside wow. High like, like yeah. Octopath Traveler and stuff. Like 
I am blown away by the score for this game. I don't know who did it. I, uh, I'll look it up when the full game comes out. And I'm sure I'll talk about it more when that happens. But I have found this game to be really interesting if that's what they're setting out to do. If they want to be a competitor to Rune Factory, I don't think it is that. And if you're going into it with that expectation, I don't think you're going to walk away like super stoked about it. If th- this is really like looking at the farm sim action combat version of this game and saying like, okay, where is that slider in between those two? Like if that's the spectrum, where have you put that like middle point, you know? Yeah. Um, And this game is like really pushing you towards like combat, which also to be clear is like, okay in the beginning, but then there's a job system that you unlock and you start to like, you start out as a fighter. You eventually can become a mage um, and you can switch between them on the fly. They all have their own like, abilities and elemental attacks and things like that you eventually i think unlock a dash for the fighter which like really makes things a lot better things like that like really really change out the flow of combat and i think you know again it doesn't put its best best foot forward it's very much like a metroid or like a castlevania where like you feel like shit or like even you know my my constant one single complaint about hollow knight is that you don't feel very powerful or fast or strong in the beginning and then by the end of the game because of your traversal abilities you've unlocked it's like Oh, this game actually feels great. It just took a long time to get there. Yeah, it's kind of like a Xenoblade 3 as well. Like when you first start, yes, yes. Like the combat begins, it feels a little bit like this is just sort of watching the combat happen, but it right. becomes much more almost fighting game-esque once you get all the abilities and the ability to like cancel moves. It's much more active than yeah. you would expect. Harvestella definitely has that same approach where like in the beginning yeah. you really are just running up and hitting x to like slash somebody and then you get an ability and then you get to switch to mage and then your mage gets a different ability and then you can switch back and forth and then you have new party members and they're attacking in different ways it it does seem like it's going to unfold and get more interesting so i, I mean i i'll just say i think harvestella is awesome it is like not what I expected it to be, but as you and I have said since like the beginning of doing this show, I like to judge games based on their intention, as do you. And this game, like if you judge it based on its intention and not what your expectation is going in, I think it's very much succeeding at what it wants to be, but it's not quite what a lot of people want it to be. Um, and I I'm, think that's where you're uh, yeah. seeing that division. I'm kind of relieved to hear that, though, because that gives me much more hope for the landscape, for whatever the of the new, genre. Yes, of the genre and, and what the um whatever new series the Rune Factory team is making. Because I think like, you know, I, I'd love to see what that is. And I was worried it was going to be immediately overshadowed by Harvestella. Mm-hmm. And it's and I also think like the approach at taking the RPG side, giving that priority over the life sim, we actually haven't seen a lot of that. It's usually the other way around. Right. Usually like, exactly. like in Stardew Valley, you can go into the cave if you want kind of like a weird dungeon crawler kind of RPG. But like... That's just one thing you can do. And this is something where um, I think it's really admirable and really, that's why I think you and I talk about these games a lot is because it's, it's it's such a big task to give yourself. You're essentially saying, let's make two really good games. And (laughs) I think the challenge, like you also pointed out is making them intertwine. You can make a game. That's a really good farm simulator. Mm -hmm. You can make it as a great RPG, but if they don't come together in a meaningful way, it's going to feel disjointed. Right. I think giving function to both and having them, ideally be like reflections of each other in in a narrative sense too. Mm-hmm. But that's what I love about Sakana of Rice and Ruin, which I would really recommend if you if you like these kind of games. Your year's harvest is how like will influence your level up stats. So it's like those yeah. things are kind of directly side by side. And that game also like has a focus on farming that I think is very hard to find outside of like actual farming simulator 2022 or something, (laughs) uh, which I think is kind of fun, but I think there's so much to do in this space. And also 
I think it's also fun to see games. I always say like, what is the verb of the game? Like changing what the central action is. So I think games that are focused on really giving you a sense of place and community are, can be really powerful and really successful yeah. based on, you know, games like FF14 and Animal Crossing, which obviously very different genres there. But I think both games are giving you a sense of making your character and existing in this community that is something you revisit and nurture in some capacity. Yeah, um, I, I think, you know, it goes back to what you and I were talking about during the Nintendo Direct episode. But like there were a lot of farm sims that they showed in that in that Direct all four of the ones that they showed are really going after and doing very different things like Fay Farm, which I think seemed the most on the surface to be like the most like we're just trying to make a thing and get into the space. Like it's by Phoenix Labs who made Dauntless and their focus on online play is going to make that maybe actually a really accessible and cool game for a lot of people. I, I'm really excited about that one. Rune Factory 3 Special is like a very cool game that's like doing its own thing. Harvestella, obviously, doing its own thing. I'm even playing the Disney one, Dreamlight Valley, because uh, they added it to Game Pass. And like that game is also trying to do a very similar thing to like a Stardew Valley or a Rune Factory or an Animal Crossing. But it's so focused on building up your relationships with the characters that you meet in that world, more so than any other game in this space that I've tried to play before. And I think that that's really special. I think it's really cool that all of these games are burgeoning and turning it into a genre and not just like clones of one another you know as much as i love stardew valley it was an answer to there not being any more harvest moon games you know yeah and this this goes back to what we say with the souls like genre if you want to call it that we're like when a genre is coming to be or argued to exist some games will really just try to replicate the core idea of that and like that's where it can be kind of exhausting where we you know I think we have an episode called like bonfires and fog walls. Like, yeah, that is not, if that's something you really like and you want to emulate, go for it. But like, that's not what really defines a souls game. I think what's way more interesting is being like, what did you as an individual like the most from dark souls? Like what, what inspired you and run with that? It's very similar to Zelda where like, I talked about this with Dom actually, where when games yeah. say they're inspired by Zelda, that can mean binding of Isaac or hyper light drifter or like, Dark Souls, actually, right. you know, yeah, I mean, exactly. Miyazaki has cited Zelda as a major influence. So that's what's exciting to me. And I think, you know, I, I understand, like, I even felt a bit of it where like seeing farm sim after farm sim, it's easy to be like, oh my God, everyone's trying to like cash in on this. Uh, and there are plenty of games that are just simply trying to do that. Yeah. But yeah, I think no, no in this question case, that that yeah. is definitely a thing that is happening and that happens in every genre. Absolutely. But I do think like it, this is a newer space. Like honestly, pre Stardew Valley, it really was just like Rune Factory, Harvest Moon and Animal Crossing. Like, I'm sure there were more, but like uh, on a mainstream level, those were the games that were going after this type of experience. And I feel like it was something that no one really had a name for it, but always kind of wanted. Yeah. And we've seen now that like the games that have, have that sense of place and that setting. And maybe like, it's not necessarily a linear story where you're progressing through a series of events. It's not a multiplayer game where it's more about like matches or rounds. And it's definitely not like a, a game where you're trying to get a high score or anything, but it's like just sort of a, it's a different approach to an open world in a sense where it's like, you're given a little piece of a world that you can call your own yeah. and have your own control over. I mean, I think like, honestly, I think where all this maybe starts in some ways is the sims but like on, on i was a, on literally just about level. to bring up yeah. the sims yes I, I think the sims is like i think if you were really into the sims you probably also really love animal crossing
crossing. Yeah. So they're in a similar realm, which is and I honestly, I think and a really exciting place. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that that's my take overall. I think, I think it's an exciting genre that we're seeing growing in real time. Yeah. So it's a cool place to be. I, I just think like on the surface marketing for these things is going to have to change pretty dramatically because yeah. you know, when, when they're all shown one after the other and it's like, a bunch of people with like plows, you know, uh, harvesting <laughs> carrots, you know, in four different games. Like that's when you're going to get those reactions that are like all these games are the same. I think you really need to lead with what's different about it the same yeah. way every other game. Has I really to do. think it doesn't need to be a farm. Like it really doesn't have that's I, like the fog I'm wall. So, the I'm genre. so with you on this. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a farm every time. It's it's kind of a joke that you have to farm in Rune Factor even. Yeah. Like it makes sense in three because you live in a big tree. Like, of course, you're going to have a, you know, farm it's a yeah. very and you're just sort of a weird guy with hooves that shows up so like i don't know put him to work but like in four you're like in charge of the town like why am i also farming yeah. i mean but that's also just to be level, clear harvestella yeah. also has like some of the wildest it oscillates between having absolutely wild nonsensical writing and being so funny and so good which <laughs> like on purpose and not on purpose but early in the game uh unsurprisingly you're like a person who has lost their memory uh yeah et cetera, et cetera. um and there's like the town doctor who puts you up in a house that just happens to be next to a farm and is like i'm just going to teach you how to farm uh because i think you're going to go stir crazy if you don't have anything to do and it'll be helpful for you to like be working towards something so just learn how to farm and like that's it that's all they yeah. give you in terms of why you're like lording over this farm. Honestly, I love it. Light touch. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's worth pointing out like Animal Crossing didn't have a farm until the last big update. Like it, it right. wasn't yeah. the central. You can have this type of life sim and not have it be about farming and yielding a profit. That's, yeah. And you can change just what, what that noun is. It, it can be something else. Yeah. You know? I think Moon, Moonlighter is, is the one I always point to is like, yes, that's a roguelike, but the idea of you having this shop that you're essentially yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. The, the in charge of is like, I'm just surprised that there aren't more people going that direction, I guess. Totally. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And that that's another good example of having like kind of a more uh, lower stakes place in the town. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. So I'm excited to play this. I mean, I, do you think I will like it based on what you played with the demo? I think you're going to fucking love it. There's there's <laughs> one character in particular that uh, I sent you one screenshot of that as soon as you meet them, you're going to be like, this is going to be one of the best games of the year. I, I really do think that I am going to walk away from this being like really, really high on it, even compared to other games I love like Rune Factory and Animal Crossing and stuff. I think I'm going to be like really, really into it. Um, if, if it keeps up the same highs that it's hitting for me, because to be clear, I am the person who spent most of my time in Stardew Valley fishing and in the caves uh, doing like that side of it. Hell yeah. So Harvestella having more of a more of a lean towards that is really working for me. I mean, and it still has, you know, all of the like Square Enix charm that you that you look for in like a final fantasy game yeah i i'm debating if i want to get it for switch i might just because the demo is the big pull there so i might just do if it plays well on switch why not it does play really well my old friend the switch a pat on the back now that i have my new friend the steam deck i think i think you should do it i think i think give it a shot on switch my biggest complaint right now is that uh i think the demo came out too early (laughs) because this game doesn't come out until november and i that's gonna kill me to have to wait another month and a half for this thing the other thing too is like i don't think these types of games like the people who are fans of this genre, like a Stardew Valley fan, Animal Crossing fan, Rune Factory fan, they put in so much time into these games that yeah. like it's almost impossible to really give you a demo because the main appeal is like 
that long term investment, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So like, like how do you demo animal crossing? You know, how, how could yeah. you possibly make up your mind about, th- I mean, but yes, also could it's, actually, it's that's a intro, great but, point. Cause imagine yeah. if they had made a demo for the most recent animal crossing, right? Where, yeah. you know, you could do maybe the first week, like maybe they gave you seven days of a demo. And if you do only the first week of Animal Crossing, I could imagine the response to that being very similar to the response to Harvestella, where like if you only play the first seven days of the new Animal Crossing, you're going to think it's a totally different game than what it turns into. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, all you can really do the first day is drink whatever the fruit of your island is juice and say the same two things over and over again to your two neighbors. To your two neighbors and pick up sticks. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I love the way that that game gives you like a, a slow burn of a tutorial but yeah again it's like how do you really yeah. show that and that leads i mean that's a whole other conversation of like what makes a good demo and i think some genres are harder to show off than like you know doom eternal would be right yeah. where you just like get in a quick hit of that and you know whether or not you like it yeah we'll see what happens i'm really excited to check it out maybe i'll report back once i play the demo as well yeah i think um i think you're going to be closer to my camp in terms of positivity on it um i i just want to be very clear about it also like if you're a person in the discord who has been talking about it or if you're like online and, and you're not like super hot on it i totally get that because it's definitely a different kind of game at least in the demo in the first you know couple days of, of play um than i think what a lot of people were hoping for but even removed from that side of it i think the lack of like relationship options and like just in general like relationships with people in the town i think that's actually going to be a pretty big detractor for a lot of people who like really want that like that is the focus of these games for a lot of people is like talking to your neighbors and stuff uh and hanging yeah, out with them totally yeah i'm excited to see how it goes we'll see what happens yeah that's harvestella the demo's harvestella. out on Speaking of Switch, we've got another game before we wrap up. We have another game to talk about that I did talk about last week with Dom, but it was kind of a funny conversation because he had never played the series, so it just sounded like I was sort of dream journaling in front of him. Yeah. Um, You're like the five-year-old explaining Pokemon to their dad. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. My parents had a lot of patience. I feel like they heard that 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 pitch quite a bit when I was a child, but yeah. So anyway, we're talking about Splatoon three. Uh, it came out a week or so ago at this point. Um, I've been playing it pretty much every day. Uh, when I talked with Dom about it, it had been out for a few days. Yeah. Now we've had a full week. Splatfest is out. Very exciting team fun. Here we are. I love this game. I think I said a lot about my thoughts last week and I'm sure I'll have more to say, but I'd love to hear what you think of it so far. Totally. Uh, first of all, I, I love that discussion last week, especially as like a table set for people who like maybe aren't super familiar with it. I am super familiar with it. I uh, yeah. haven't. I had the first one. I had a Wii U. I fucking loved Splatoon one. Like when the first one came out, I was all about it. Thought it was great. Um, honestly, there are some things that Splatoon one still does better because of the gamepad, which is like a wild thing to say, but yeah. specifically and this, this I think is going to, uh, blow your mind, but the way it worked was the gamepad had the map on it at all times. Oh, so I if see. you wanted to yeah. super jump to another teammate, you could just like touch on the gamepad and you would do that, uh, which was great instead of needing to like open a menu after you've died, etc. Um, anyway, uh, loved Splatoon 1. Splatoon 2 came out for the Switch. Also loved Splatoon 2. That was your entry point. You also yeah. loved it. You and I have talked a lot on this show about how Splatoon, you know, as like Nintendo's essentially only entry into like the competitive, honestly, like almost the competitive anything genre, but like specifically <laughs> the competitive shooter genre. Um, yeah. just, just given their like 
their uh, desire to not like wade too far into the world of like competitive smash, which honestly, as time goes on, I'm starting to understand based on the way that community acts. Right. Um, Yeah. But anyway, Splatoon has always been this really interesting thing. They have released now three of them. The third one is out and seems like what they're doing is similar to like what infinity ward sorry activision does with like call of duty like it seems like you know they're not yearly they're not call of duty yearly but it does seem like they're trying to just refine and not make the game like super different um which as you mentioned last week with dom i think is is a kind of left turn from what nintendo is usually known for and what they've outwardly said is their like internal philosophy when it comes to making games which is we will only make a sequel if we have like a really good idea for one Splatoon seems to be this series that they're very comfortable just iterating on. Um, And I think that that is wonderful in this game and also holds it back in some regards in ways that are kind of bumming me out a little bit. Um, Just to get this out of the way, the core multiplayer, like Turf War, Splatfests, amazing. Like, still great. As you said last week, it's the best it's ever been. I am so on board with that. I love it. I am like you playing it like literally every day it's like one of the first things i do when i wake up and as you and i have dm'd back and forth about just the matches being so short i think makes it really wonderful to like jump in do a round get a little bit of money see what's in the shops and then like bail and do something else for a while and like maybe check in with it later Um, yeah that's really cool where the game is is falling by the wayside a little bit for me is the single player i'm not like thrilled about um it feels a little bit like almost a step back um, especially from what you've described as the Octo expansion, uh, which seems which seemed like maybe what this was going to be all of and is a little bit less than for me. They've definitely taken a bit of it, but I, I agree. It's I think that's like the one big area. And I think I said this last week where like the central mechanic of Splatoon is so good it's and amazing. so malleable. Yeah. And it's cool to see like even in a single player, like there are levels that are more like puzzle game esque yeah uh they're almost like portal where you have to like navigate a certain areas using this weapon there are ones that are more of like a a combat gauntlet there are ones that are more about the platforming i think the single player splatoon 2 was very much just a tutorial like i didn't really do much of it at all Uh, it was okay but octo expansion was great yeah maybe a little like maybe like a little too hard honestly but was like so gripping and so compelling and really showed off what this series is capable of mm-hmm. this single player, I would say is a li- it's a, it's halfway between the two. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's closer full, to being a tutorial yeah. for the multiplayer as you, as you said last week, which I, yeah. I am so with you on. Um, and as a person who like knows the multiplayer very well already, I don't feel very compelled to go do the single player. There's, I, I, I have this like, um, cognitive dissonance between like what I'm doing in the single player versus what I'd rather be doing, which is just playing the multiplayer that having been said, a thing that I didn't realize and I texted you about immediately was as soon as you download the game and start it for the first time, if you have a Splatoon 2 save on your Switch, it will ask you if you want to import your save from Splatoon 2, which doesn't import your character. You can still make a character, which is cool. What it does do is two things, one of which is great, one of which is a fucking curse. Uh, the first thing it does is it gives you a bunch of tickets to spend at the weapon shop. Specifically, there are two kinds of tickets that you get as you play the game. Uh, the, the weapon shop is called Ammonite, which is a recurring character. I love him dearly. Sheldon. Um, yeah. yeah, Sheldon is amazing. The two ca- kinds of tickets you can get are uh, platinum tickets and gold tickets. Platinum tickets will let you just like unlock a weapon that's at your level. Gold tickets will let you unlock any weapon at any level, even if you haven't hit it yet, which is amazing. So what you can do if you want to is like 
just go buy like the like you could try the most basic version of all the weapons find out which like archetype of a weapon you like and then just buy the biggest baddest version of that and like just jump into multiplayer with that which is what i did dear listener because <laughs> i'm a big fan of the splat dualies which is like the oh like, yeah the two Those little guns great. that you get that like don't shoot very far but shoot really fast and you um, can roll around you and can you can roll fucking out. dodge roll like it's dark yeah. souls uh obsessed obsessed with the splat dualies still feel great in this game i just went and unlocked like the the best version of them that's in the game amazing i am doing so much better at <laughs> the game yeah. now that i've done that the second thing that they do and this is where the curse lies is they will immediately pair you up with other people who have imported your their splatoon 2 save which generally speaking means it's people who were like still playing splatoon 2 when that ended and are just jumping right into splatoon 3 which means they're all way better than me and i'm getting my ass kicked <laughs> all the time the only reason i'm doing even remotely okay is because they gave me those gold tickets and i got the good splat toolies <laughs> Because I haven't played Splatoon 2 in, you know, over a year at this point, maybe even more than that. Like, it's been a long time for me specifically. I do know a lot, like, I have retained a lot of my knowledge here and there about, like, when to engage, when to play stealthily, things like that. Like, those, those things are a little bit inherent to me. It's a little bit like riding a bike. But still, these people are so good at Splatoon in ways that, yeah. like, it's almost hard to even conceive of how it's Yeah, how when it's you're up against a good, good team, it's like, it's not... It's not a it's not an easy loss. It is like a demoralizing it's brutal. defeat. Yes. Yeah, it's 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 really like getting slimed in Nickelodeon. <laughs> if you're a celebrity getting the lever pulled and, and slimed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that that that's the give and take of importing your Splatoon 2 save. I can't really say if I would recommend it to people, uh, but I sure did it. And honestly, there is a little piece of me that's like, yes, put me against people who are better at me because it'll force me to get better. Um, and what I love about this game is that it really does encourage getting better as much as it is like kind of a chill out thing. There's also a great article um, on Polygon. I think it was um, about how like Splatoon is the best social network that exists uh, yeah. just because of like all the great like they're not me versus oh, yeah. but I'm just going to call them that still because that's what they were in the first game. But all the great me versus posts of like people like drawing things, especially now that there's a Splatfest coming up. All the like team gear, team grub, team fun stuff is like really, really cool. Yeah, I, I love seeing that all over the place. But even with all of that, the game in the copywriting in it in a lot of its design, like even in the fact that like when you go into the battle tower while you're waiting for a match, you can like continue to swim around and like shoot around in the training area and like test out your weapons right before you go into a battle. And when you're done with a match, if you continue to stay with your team, you can continue to fuck around in the training area, but you can see all the people who are going to be on your team also doing the same thing as little yeah. holograms. Like the game is pushing you to like understand what weapon you're using and understand your role in the team more so than you would expect from a Nintendo game. And that's one of the things oh, I've yeah. always liked about this game or about this franchise, but I think Splatoon three like triples down on that mentality. <laughs> um, and I think just the ability really to successful. jump. Yeah. Uh, sorry to cut you off, but the ability to just jump into friends matches and like make a room. Like it's, it's definitely the bet. One of the better online experiences I've had yeah. with the switch. Like you'll still get disconnected every now and then, but like, honestly it, it's pretty remarkable how seamless it is. Like, because you can see your friends like sitting around the lobby and if they allow it, like you can just jump into their match, like without having to like stop and make a room. So like yeah. every now and then I'll just have my friends on switch, like join my team. Like, Oh, that's fun. Like I just, I love how easy it is. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's really, really, really good. Um, and for someone like me and someone like you, who I think were more drawn to like the actual core of what Splatoon is, which is the online 
multiplayer stuff. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it's it's it is the best this platoon has ever been. The other stuff is falling a little bit to the wayside for me. And honestly, that doesn't really it doesn't really phase me at all. I don't really care that much. It just means like I just get to continue focusing on the thing that I really wanted to do in the first place. Yeah, it is. It is a missed opportunity, though, especially because we're three in like that is like the area where the game can improve and it showed that it can. And I imagine there will be DLC for this. I I imagine like the Octo expansion was well received critically and commercially. So they'll do that again. There's anything that they can add to the expansion pack Nintendo online thing. They will is what I'm starting to learn about Nintendo in this. I also think, though, that like there will be a lot of free updates as well. Like this is a game that's just pretty heavily supported and it's almost hard to like review now because like we're, we only have access to so much i yeah. imagine like it will get built upon over time yeah, splatoon and, uh, 2 got new weapons and maps and Splatfest for literally years after it came yeah. out like it was it was supported from 20 i don't know 2018 i think it came out 2017 2017 yeah. all the way through 2020 i believe yeah yeah pretty much right until this came out pretty much <laughs> The other thing that they added that's kind of surprisingly fun is the card game. Have you played the card game yet? I was going to bring up the card game. I love the card game. It feels the card game is great. Very Yakuza, yeah. first of all, to like be able to yes. run around this town and like in the back alley, there's somebody who wants to play a very strange card game with you. Yeah. It's so good. Can, can you explain to the listener what the card game is? Yeah. So it just, it's, it's so, you would never in a million years guess that this game that is based on just spraying paint everywhere would have a card game that is seeking to replicate that. Yeah. So basically the way it works is you have a deck of cards and there's a big kind of Tetris-esque map. And like a Splatoon Turf War, you have to ink the most of the map with your color. So whoever has inked more of the map wins. Every card is a different shape and you have to ink with a card that like connects to that original shape in some way. Um, although it's much harder, like in, in a normal game of Splatoon, you can paint over enemies paint very easily. And this, I forgot the exact requirements, but there are like specific needs that need to be there for it to paint over an enemy's paint. Yes. So very simple, but it's it's weirdly gripping. And that is one of the many rewards you'll get like from the daily Gashapon machine and other things Like you'll just get cards. And honestly... Credit where credit's due, every part of this game, you can see where they could have put a real price tag. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you, like the way you even, it almost feels like a joke. Cause like when you open a booster pack, it gives you that like Hearthstone each card turning over. And I'm yeah. like, this could have been, this could have been real money. Mm-hmm. This could have been real money. The daily rewards, the like all this, but it's all just you get rewarded by playing and thank fucking Christ. Cause this would have been a nightmare <laughs> with, with any kind of monetization. Yeah. You know, I so I'm really glad that, and, and honestly, Nintendo's pretty good at avoiding that. I mean, with their mainline games, the mobile games is a whole other story. But the the mainline Switch games don't have that because they they need to be family friendly, and at a certain point, you know, that that is predatory. Although Pokemon Unite, you know, that that's a whole other story as well. So maybe I'm completely wrong. Yeah. But thankfully, in this game, there is no predatory gambling microtransactions. It's just you get stuff by playing. So the card game is a really nice surprise. The other thing that's like weirdly, maybe the pull of the game is decorating your locker. You'll just (laughs) unlock things that you can put in your locker, like stickers and other things. And you can see friends lockers. It's like a little splash of Animal Crossing. It's like, here's like the place you get to decorate. Yeah. But it's just a locker. So funny. I love it. Yeah. I haven't done that at all yet, but I have unlocked a bunch of stuff for it. And I'm just like waiting for the day when I sit down and finally do it. Um, Yeah. But, uh. 
I did I, I did like the focus on that during the Splatoon Direct that they had way back when before yeah. it came out. Uh, <laughs> they were like, this is going to be a huge part of this game. That's very funny. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I, I, I think Splatoon 3 is really wonderful. Um, I, I do think there is more of a case to be made than ever that like maybe this could be like a Fortnite kind of thing that is updated forever. Um, but I do appreciate that it is like a full priced triple a video game for nintendo switch that you buy once and then like never need to worry about like you know as you were just mentioning like an in-game shop or anything which is the alternative like at the end of the day what could have happened is they could have said like splatoon is a live service game from now on we're gonna update it forever um we're gonna add maps to it etc etc but if you want to you'll have to like pay for clothes and things you know that that could have been the avenue and i appreciate that they're like no we're gonna put a number on it and we're gonna release it as its own thing uh, and just update it forever and that's great yeah i i i think it will you know i i think my um i go back and forth on the whole critique of like was this different enough because like for me i'm so enjoying the game that i i do think like this is a case where iteration works overall like yeah, i think that, like I, I, don't, I don't really want splatoon to be fundamentally different but i think the single player you're right to point out that's like the one area where there there was all the ingredients to make that more of a standout and more on par with the multiplayer yeah and they really like it, it's still fun but they yeah, didn't that's the go thing. it's not with bad it. yeah. to be clear it just yeah it just doesn't feel like enough of a shift from what i did in the first and second one for yeah. me to think like i can recommend this game to anybody because there's a really solid single player and a really solid multiplayer it's like well I would really only recommend this game to people who are like going to check out the multiplayer or if they've never played a Splatoon before, this seems to be the thing for me. What's really great though, is uh, there's been a pretty active community for this game in the discord. So it's been really fun to see people. A lot of people played this franchise for the first time. So like this game, I know sold really well. Splatoon sells pretty well overall. It's not quite on the level of Mario or Zelda, but it's definitely above Kirby and Luigi's mansion, which also sell really well. So like, it's definitely like a mainstay for Nintendo working its way up the ladder, the IP ladder. Yeah. <laughs> um so it will I I feel like it'll probably be a while before we get a new game. Like I think they'll probably do what they did with Splatoon 2. And if there is some kind of new switch or some capacity, I imagine it will be ported over in some way. I mean, honestly, even Splatoon 2 kind of felt like a port of Splatoon 1. You know, it wasn't it, it that did long a little after. bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I would guess that there will be a new Nintendo console and we will get Splatoon 4 on that new Nintendo console. Not at launch, but so? eventually, yeah. Eventually, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think I, this I am, game is going to be supported for like about three years or maybe four, if I yeah. were to guess. I just, I just hope that whatever Nintendo makes next, it's backwards compatible with the Switch. I imagine yeah. it will be given, you know, but who knows? The Switch uh, is too successful for them to, that's what, that's to what bail. I, yeah. Yeah, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. But yeah, Splatoon 3 is great. I would love to play together one day soon. We should do that. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm back now for a while, which is fun. Uh, hell yeah which is cool wow we talked about so much stuff in this episode steven this is what happens when this might be three hours yeah whenever you and i don't record uh i I mean you had an episode last week with dom but uh i've been gone so there's this screenshot i have of animal crossing with bardo uh and he he's saying dude where have you been for the last one month and it's like a million (laughs) and i I, that's like literally the energy whenever we take a week off yeah uh the where have you been for the last one month uh (laughs) 
It's so good. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're back. Thanks for uh, coming back to the show. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I was in the wilderness of Maine, I thought maybe I'll just set up camp here and never return. Just but, uh, bail. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just bail. Put on, on your life. Odin's Wanderer outfit and just call yourself <laughs> Wanderer Son of Warrior and move on. I love that. I love that as a little yeah. tease. Yeah, we're, uh, we, yeah. Yes, dear listener, we are recording two episodes today, the second of which will be our patron bonus oh. <laughs> about Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman, uh, which is very exciting. Steven is showing me his copy of it right now. Um, it is interesting. We're recording this patron bonus about Norse mythology before we record the God of War bonus, but they're going to come out together. Yes. This is a heads up. They're going to come out like side by side as a companion piece to each other. Yeah. All of that said, uh, you can go to into the online If you'd like to see our links to things like the Patreon, uh, where you will get access to that episode when it comes out along with all of our other previous Patreon episodes. Uh, of which there are many now, uh, which is its own feed, and you can go check that out. We also have our links to things like Twitter and Instagram. I almost said Facebook. Absolutely not. <laughs> but we do have a Twitch uh, and also a link to the Discord, which you can join a uh, wonderful and growing, ever-growing community over there as well. We recently got a bunch of new patrons. Just like huge thanks from us for that. Yeah. Uh, you help the show continue to grow and continue to exist. And we're getting pretty close to our 2000 goal. Uh, which is really exciting. So as a reminder, if we hit that, we're going to do our 3DS episode, which will be a lot of fun. So um, it's seemingly that's like a possibility, which is cool. Yeah. Very excited. So thank you all for your generosity with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Do you have anything else, anything you want to tease or allude to before we sign off this very long episode? I have a lot of games I downloaded on to my Steam Deck (laughs) uh, that I'm very excited to play. And I just think in general, the next couple months are going to be a pretty busy season so very excited for that it's kind of surreal we're already low-key preparing for game of the year i've even seen some people in the discord share their current list which is very fun i've been seeing that a lot yeah but yeah i just i just want to give like a really big thanks to everyone for listening and for supporting the show and i'm just really proud of what we do here and i'm glad people like it yeah yeah big same over here i do i do want to shout out uh specifically just to what you were just saying uh october is going to be wild with releases uh october (laughs) is so stacked with releases um so let's hear it do you guys you got any yeah i mean i have the list right here uh worth mentioning also about the patreon if you back the five dollar tier you get access to an air table which will give you access to all the games that we're excited about um and also Every episode we've ever made and every game we've talked about in all those episodes is like a big uh, growing database. Um, I did want to also shout out that I will start adding in uh, Steam Deck as its own console, like its own platform these games are on. Like I'm already listing PC and Mac for those things, but I'll also add Steam Deck if that's where you and I are playing it specifically, Um, like if it runs well on Steam Deck. So we'll also have a growing list of Steam Deck games uh, that you can check out. Anyway, uh, October Overwatch 2 is coming out uh, like pretty immediately. Near Automata is coming to Switch. Forspoken oh, yeah. is coming out. Uh, Mario plus Rabbids Sparks of Hope is coming out. Gotham Knights, which I'm very excited about. Scorn is finally coming out. Persona 5 Royal is coming out on a bunch of platforms, including the Switch. Bayonetta 3 is finally coming out. And the Resident Evil Village update uh, with the DLC oh, man. and all the extra stuff uh, is coming out like at the end of the month. But that's wow. a big month. That's really and probably exciting, more that yeah. we don't even know about that are like indie titles and things like that. Yeah. And then November, I know, is Harvestella, as we talked about. Yeah. Uh, God of Pokemon War. Scarlet and Violet and God of War Ragnarok, yeah. which uh, I'll say it. I think I did the right thing by waiting because I can't I can't believe I just get the sequel now after a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be exciting. Anyway. Uh, cool. 
Well, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you. Have yeah, especially great- if you listen to this whole thing. Yeah, this is a long one. Uh, we've gotten pretty good. I know we have a reputation for making long episodes, which <laughs> seems to be appreciated. I think most of the feedback about that is actually positive. Which Nobody's is cool ever to told us that we should make shorter episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think if we made games of the decade consistently, Every people week. might yeah. check <laughs> politely check in, but usually we like gravitate towards 90 minutes. But I think in this case, there's a new system. It's very exciting. Uh, when we're excited, we kind of peep into three hours or longer. So yeah. sorry, but also here we are. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Linux. Thank you, Linux. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you, Linux. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you, Gordon. Bye. (laughs) Gordon. See ya.